Welcome to The Rec Room with Mandy and Mio, a podcast about books and the people who write them. What do you think the Song of Achilles actually sounds like? Like if you were to sing like Achilles song. I don't song. like where this is going. Where, what do you think it sounds like? I just want to know. I just want to know. What do you think? I don't know. You know what? I'm okay. My honest answer is really bad because every time that they mention him singing in the book or like the sound of a liar, the sound that's in my head is actually Renaissance music. Okay. Which is very far. Well, when so. I, I imagine that the way it sounds like is call me, call me by your name. Oh my God. <laughs> Because remember how Patroclus dies <laughs> is they call him yeah. by no, they do. Achilles' name. So yeah. that might just be the I walked right into this. Song of Achilles. All right. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And there's gonna be a lot of singing here like... <laughs> in this room. I feel like everyone who's gonna listen to this. And who's never heard you do that bit? Yeah, we're we're gonna like lose everyone. Like, <laughs> yeah, everyone's gonna be like, wait, that was a familiar tune. <laughs> it's like that. But also, he's saying the title of a completely <laughs> different thing. So yes, basically I'm, the joke. Everyone, I, I'm spoiling the end already of the novel know, from then, the get go, which is like the ending that we've known all along. Yeah, I literally was gonna say this is like, and this is relevant to what we're also gonna discuss later. But it's like that time when I had. Uh, Macbeth with Leon. Leon was my prof. Our friend Leon. Mm-hmm. Our friend, friend of the podcast, Leon Paxton. Friend, friend of who's podcast. not going to appear on this episode in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, so, when I had him for Shakespeare, I remember during one of our like earlier weeks of class, he said something that was like, um, yeah, so this will come up again later when uh, we discuss the last few scenes and eventually Macbeth's death and when he said Macbeth's death someone in my class gasped (laughs) (laughs) and he was like sir spoiler and then literally everyone just looked at him even and Leon didn't know what to say he was like he was like oh should I have really kept but surely you might have known (laughs) (laughs) right so yeah if we at the beginning of this, already spoiled how this ends. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Please I'm sorry, uh, pause but the podcast also, here and then read the whole book, I guess. I know. But then also, I'm low-key expecting that if you're listening to this, you're on Tumblr at a very specific time. And so by this, you mean The Rec Room. It's a podcast <laughs> with us, Mandy and Mew, uh, mm-hmm. where we ask a question... When does a writer's work become required reading? In each episode, we take popular authors of the day and review each entry in their bibliographies to see just how close these writers get to the sweet spot between mainstream breakout success and traditional literary sensibility. I am Mia. I'm Mandy. And today we're starting a new mini-series! Yeah, baby! Yeah, we finished one. Yeah. One in the bag, one in the can. One. In, it's already out in the world. We're recording this the day after we yeah. put out the... The can is actually open for the world. Normal people, so we're filling in the gap. Now you know how many days we record episodes in advance, sort of. But um, we are starting a new mini-series, and this time we have decided... To focus on the works of a writer named Madeline Miller. 
And the interesting thing I yes. think about Madeline Miller is that she sort of like in our last miniseries, we focus on Sally Rooney and how she sort of grew out of a traditional literary establishment. I mean, not, not that she took creative right. writing per se. She did do like a master's in American literature, but she kind of like made her way in through like submissions to literary ma- magazines, journals, anthologies. And then that's kind of where her career picked up from there. Uh, whereas here with Madeline Miller, it's I feel like it's a bit different. And this is something I think yeah. that you can speak a lot to uh, uh, since you referred to Tumblr. Yes, indubitably so. Um, no. Well, okay, because like, I guess the difference between like um, Madeline and Sally would be that like Madeline is like a traditional scholar. Um like she uh she was well, okay first of all she grew, let me let's just gloss over her bio mm-hmm. like real quick so she grew up in new york and philadelphia and she attended brown where she earned her bachelor's and master's in classics um and she also has tutored latin greek and shakespeare uh to like high school students but i have a feeling that she has also taught it at like some unis right i could be wrong about that but i have heard that um and she also studied at the university of chicago's committee on social thought and this is the coolest one for me also in the dramaturgy dramaturgy i'm gonna say dramaturgy yeah the dramaturgy (laughs) department at yale school of drama where she had focused on the ad- adaptation of classical texts to modern forms. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Which is super cool. Yeah, right? That's. I mean, like, if you know her work now, you'd be like, oh, okay, right. of course, that's, like, something that you would be, like... Exactly, yeah, because, like, like we're, we're focusing on her two novels, The Song of Achilles and Circe, and both of yeah. them are notably adaptations or reinterpretations yes. of the Greek epics of Homer, yeah. uh, which kind of begs the question, then, like, you know what's what's her third book going to be about? Like she yeah, ran out of Homer right? epic. Like, like literally, he's got two great things. Right, right. Well, I mean, like um, the the sort of the third the third like I guess most obvious choice would be for her to do something on the Aeneid, on Virgil, which was that's like, what. Okay, I was also thinking that, but then also to be fair, so as we mentioned, like uh, she has two novels. It's the one that we're covering today, Saga Vakiris, yes. her debut novel. Yep. And then her second one is. Cersei? Chirche? We'll find out. Um, but that one, as of earlier this year, that was going to be picked up already by... I mean, that was that had just been picked up by HBO Max. Right. Oh, yeah. To be adapted to, yeah, to like a movie or a miniseries, something like that. Something like that. So I feel like that's what she's going to be working on first before she tries to think of what she's going to do, whatever her third novel will be. I think one of the most interesting things about you know, like we said, is that she is really focused on, like, bringing forth, um, like, these classical, kind of intimidating stories to, like, a broader audience, and especially a younger audience. There's an important context there, which is that also, at least for us, that um, around the time that this first book, Song of Achilles, is becoming popular... Uh, we were also experiencing the Homeric epics in yes. our own way. Um, me a little earlier than you, uh, but then yeah. you in due time. <laughs> yes. um, since we both went to the same university, 
Um, and it, and since their curriculum is very like liberal arts, liberal education oriented, uh, a lot of us, I mean, practically all of us, were no, all of us, yeah, all of us were required to uh, take more or less the same uh, early uh, like first year classes, regardless of mm-hmm. what your course was, which means that everyone in our university took classic literature from first sem onwards. Nothing could be, I guess, like a little more alien than getting kids from all over the Philippines, putting them in a college, and then telling them, all right, now we're going to read about the Trojan yeah. War. And it's like very Literally. deep, and it's like very, like, I mean, yeah. you know, there are a lot of universal themes, but we're going to have to like also like trudge through the very obscure yeah. bits of it. I, I will not lie, like before university, I think the f- like the only real um, connection I had to like the Iliad was of course I think this is the same for everybody, but like uh, the concept of the Trojan horse, of course. Right. But then the specific one I always have in mind is the one from that one Hey Arnold episode. Oh, okay. Did that wasn't even this? that wasn't even the one that I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> I actually don't remember it. So please, for oh, the okay. benefit of there both was, me and the audience, you please. know what? It's super. Oh my gosh! I just remember. I think that's where I learned about the concept of the Trojan horse. Yeah. Because there was like this. I think it was sort of like a civil war reenactment or something that like Arnold's grandpa was part of and then it got super intense because it got like hashtag too real and the grandpa and like I guess his Kalaban who was also a grandpa <laughs> um, uh, was like they got so into it and Arnold was like uh, we have to stop this because they're old and also it's the weekend like they're just gonna take over the whole weekend doing this like if you Look for this episode. They really built a fort and everything. It was like across town. So like there was a real battlefield in between um, each fort. And then eventually I think Arnold's like team was the one that thought of the Trojan horse thing. So they could end everything. And then so they built like this huge wooden horse. And then they go over to the other side. And then that's how. Yeah. So that's always what I think of. I just think of Hey Arnold. Yeah, you, someone says Trojan horse. as much as as much as I love Hey Arnold, I actually do not remember that episode at yeah. all. And what I thought they it, were, going I think to one say, of the things about that yeah. episode also is that that's where. Do you remember their pet pig? Yes, Abner. He yeah, Abner. He gets heavily compromised in this. I, like I don't know what fight. you mean. <laughs> as in, like I think he's used as like like a war prize or something. Uh, okay. I think the other that, team yeah, cap, that, is, like, that is very Trojan War like. Yeah, exactly. I, I might I mean, really me, truly yeah. might be not remembering this well, but like I do really remember the Lolo being so upset that something happened to Abner uh, and then Arnold getting so desperate okay, okay. for it to end that he's like what if we just like Trojan horse the shit. Yeah. I see I thought what I thought you were going to invoke was the 2004 Wolfgang Peterson film Troy starring Brad Pitt. Not at all. I did not even see that. I which, don't even think I have seen that which film. Which I mean yet. you haven't. Oh okay. It's I, not wait, I mean no. it's not I wouldn't say it's it's like okay. I, I skimmed through it when I was rewatching yeah. it recently. I did a lot of things to prepare for this episode like yeah. I skimmed through bits of Troy. I played <laughs> Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I oh, yeah. uh, also got that new game Hades, where mm-hmm. everyone in Greek mytho- mythologies are just like horny for each other. All right, but then also, is that really far from? I don't know. It's very, very canon. Very canon. Yeah. 
But anyway, like that being said, like every one of us, we were all required to read the Iliad. Um, yeah. yeah, and and I think the sort of important thing to jump off from there is that we didn't really have any like grounding contextualization for that. Um, yeah. So like even I remember like I have this distinct memory of like trying to get through the second book of the Iliad, and for me like that was such a frustrating book mm-hmm. because half of that book were all the allies of Agamemnon and Achilles. Is that when they were just like listing. Yeah, names? they were just listing names. Yeah. And I was like, why? Yeah. The no, hell and you are know how that's this? like a thing that happens multiple times yeah like them yeah. just saying names well yeah it it kind of becomes i, I kind of understood it afterwards after yeah. that book. but in the second but book obviously I the really first time you read it think yeah. of why that was important until yeah. like until our professor at the time uh he made you had this important really point. Great he had a really good yeah he had a really good point where he was saying that because these epic poems were all sung or recited the idea was that people were listening to them and and that these people were probably from different parts of Greece. So, like, for them, that book was actually about representation. representation. Because once they oh heard the names of the people from their specific region, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm invested in this epic because my yeah, dude yeah, was yeah. in that war. Like, my yeah, dude was, yeah. like, literally fought in that. Which I thought that was my like, oh, okay, that's actually, like... That's amazing. Like, yeah. That completely changed my opinion from hating that book to understanding mm-hmm. or like having a better sense of it and appreciating it even um yeah. which then became relevant as he said like as we were reading on like they keep doing it more and they say it before they fight one another and i realized like yeah, yeah. because they're trying and to then, like get all this yeah. glory and honor and fame which yeah. is like the highest sort of honor that they were seeking back in the greek yes times. the big scene of naming names that i really remember there are two one is the one where I can't remember if it's Diomedes someone. The one where they list their family tree. Right. To each other. I remember really hating that scene and being like, I don't like this. I don't know why this is relevant. And then I remember we were gonna have a quiz about that whole family tree and I was like, This sucks. <laughs> and then my my prof wasn't Leon. And I told Leon about it, and I was like, Leon, I don't understand why this part's relevant, and we're going to have a whole quiz about it. And then he explained it to me, like, he was like, oh, because it's really important that you know who you're killing, and whose line you're ending, or something like that. Which is super funny. Was, <laughs> like, yeah, and then me, I literally was like, oh, what? Like, like, I was like, oh, like, this is deep? <laughs> wait, but that's also, like, that's also funny to me, because, like, in a way, like, like I, I feel like if I were in the Trojan War... Uh, and like somebody came up to me and announced himself to me like oh, my name is Diabetes I am the son of blah 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 he did yeah. this and that and that and then like I would like be there with a notepad scribbling down yeah, all yeah. the details like yeah yeah right. like that's what I'm thinking yeah. guys, who's <laughs> like, taking notes right, right like, now like, oh wait sorry do you have any brothers oh yeah, you, you like, have sisters oh you have 12 too? oh okay alright okay, 12 okay, brothers okay, 12 okay. sisters okay, okay that's cool great, that's got, really it, got great. it got it got it now what yeah. are three other things about you yeah literally yeah like <laughs> Oh my god. And then the second scene where they that it's my favorite scene where they name names is that bit where um Hera and Zeus get jiggy with it in Olympus yeah. when Hera has to distract Zeus um so that she can so that her team so so to speak can have the upper hand in the war and um that's really funny because literally Zeus, she doesn't have to try that hard because Zeus literally barges in and is like, guess where I've been? I fucked this tree and that 
goat and this whatever like he was naming all these you know to make her feel bad and then she eventually is like you think you're the only one that has affairs and then she starts naming all like the mortals that she's ever slept with and that was like a two-page scene I, I mean like just the naming parts i really remember being so like uncomfortable because <laughs> our, my prof was kind of old and he was reading out that part and i was like Oh, I kind of understand what's going on, yeah. but I hope he doesn't explain. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I feel like it's one of those scenes where, like, if it was so vividly recited or told, and, yeah. and you were in the room, you'd be like, "Should we leave?" Or yeah, like, you know, I I feel really... like this is too personal. This is yeah, almost... yeah, literally, yeah. And then, literally, right after they name all those names, they immediately like bone down oh boy and 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 my prof said so and i was like i hate this <laughs> <sighs> but yeah so that's what life was like in university for right, us. right right um that being said when this book first came out i was actually in high school mm-hmm. um and when i was a i came out in 2012 so i would have been a junior in high school and you were like Second year in college? Yes, this was around what year? Sorry, I forget. So 2012. 2012, I was a soft... Nope, yeah, I was a junior. Whoops, regardless, sophomore, junior. Okay. That's when the book came out. Okay, but then, like, had you heard about it? I had not heard about it particularly, which is funny because I was on Tumblr. Um, but but to I be fair, we not, were on very different we were on very parts different of segments. Tumblr. Yes, very different yeah. segments. I was on. The, I mean, it did intersect. I think with you know all the Doctor Who, but yeah, I was on the that, segment sure. of Tumblr that was very focused on Lost, which was my favorite TV show grow uh, growing up in high school, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. also like mixtape Tumblr, I guess, which is just like right. how I yeah figured out my my taste in contemporary music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but when this came out, I was in high school, but I hadn't read it until I think years later. Like, I was well into uni. I think that was like at the end of second year. Mm-hmm. But I had taken um, the Iliad class in first year. So I had already read um, the Iliad. I, I didn't read the Odyssey. I know you read the Odyssey. That I did. Yeah, you were very fortunate for that. But I, I did not have that. I can, um, I can sort of into it the kind of content i guess you were seeing on tumblr related to song of achilles but do you remember like how like what were the posts that sort of made you aware to it on tumblr oh yeah because like people i mean because there were a lot of (laughs) it was mostly like posts making fun of achilles you know for being a little little bitch (laughs) yeah yeah go on (laughs) because yeah um because also sorry i will say that i think i will go back and forth between pronouncing their names as Achilles and Patroclus. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Or worry. I keep Achilles thinking. And... I keep thinking of Achilles as well because that's what they were named. That's how we said it. Yeah, yeah, that's how we said it in college. Yeah, because that's because I think our translation spelled it out like that, yes, right? Yes. The Fitzgerald one. Yeah. Yeah. The best one. Um, just kidding. No, it's not. We don't know that. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> anyway, so on Tumblr, there were a lot of, obviously, a lot of posts about them because, I mean, about Achilles and Patroclus because. They were gays. And um, you know how Tumblr likes them gays. So there are a lot of like fan mixes about them. So there was also on mi- that specific side of mixtape Tumblr that was just for like your ships. I saw a lot of that. And it was a lot of... Or if there was a fan mix for like a character specifically, all of Achilles' songs would be like, 
Marina and the Diamond songs. <laughs> so you you did know what the songs of Achilles were. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because I I remember I had one. I downloaded one off of um, what's it called? Eight tracks. Right. Is that what it's called? Right. Yeah. Oh, I almost said eight cuts, but that's burgers. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'll have the Achilles burger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll have, I'll have this with a side of hummus, I'll have, please. I'll have a hecatum. <laughs> hecatum <laughs> roast. Jeez. Oh my god, and it's like their meat fest. Yeah, and like, it, like they oh only they, they only we serve. Should, should we open up <laughs> a, like a really old school classical Greek right, burger place? Right. Anyway, so yeah, so there was a lot of that, um, but I didn't really know who they were. I knew that they were like Greek gods and stuff, and I had very minor knowledge of Greek mythology at this point because I was first and foremost on Tumblr for no, secondly. Secondly, I was on Tumblr for the Les Mis fandom and in high school. And this is one of the reasons why I think I didn't read Song of uh, Achilles right away because I was still so heavily invested in Les Mis. And in Les Mis canon, there are uh, allusions to Greek gods. Mm. Like, uh, Angela Rass is always compared to Apollo. Or like, um, I'm a bad stan. It's been years, guys. I'm very old now. Um, so I knew them, but, and I, when I saw, saw like Achilles and stuff, like their names, I knew that they were like Greek mythology, but I didn't really know who they were or what they did or why they were like a thing. And then, uh, when I read the Iliad, it also kind of didn't, um, sink into my head what their relationship could have been, especially since the Iliad starts literally on the ninth year of the war, right? right? Or like the... Yeah, that's year. that's actually a very important talking point that I kind of want to bring up with relation to at least the Iliad, like re- comparing the Iliad and Song of Achilles. Because yeah. like since both of them are about the Trojan War, even actually arguably uh, the Odyssey is also about the Trojan yes. War to some extent. Uh, yeah, like and even the Aeneid, a lot of what makes. Um, having separate works about this one particular event important is, and this is something that I learned while I was taking that same classic literature class, uh, learning a lot about what structure can tell you about what the story is really about, like what they choose to omit and what they choose to include. Like, like even when I was reading the Iliad, I sincerely thought the, the whole epic was going to include like the end of the, the Trojan of war. The war. No, even the end. Oh, the, the end. end of the I thought, war. Yeah. I thought it was going to end. Like, oh, I was like, yeah, I, remember, yeah, yeah. I remember I was going through the like last two books That's and I was like true. thinking like, when is the horse going to come in? When is Achilles going to die? All these things. Like I was like just remembering the 2004 like, film. And right. like notably, the Iliad does not feature the horse at all. Doesn't yeah. even end with Achilles dying. The last yes. scene of the Iliad, which I is, think is the best scene, is, is Priam? Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, Priam, yeah, it's Priam, Priam it's right? Priam arriving it's Priam the and the, the, yes, and, and then he's begging yes. for, um, for Hector's body. Yes, which agree. This and then and kind of uh, and, and it kind of like lays out like, oh, this whole epic was actually it was less about the Trojan War itself and more about like what everyone lost yes. uh, along the way, regardless 100%. of which side they were on, and yeah. all these whims of the gods and the men who were temperamental about it. Like, you got all of that from yeah. where uh, Homer's epic ended. And in yeah. the same way... And 
uh, like with Song of Achilles, you get mm-hmm. that a lot from where she starts the story and even yes. where she ends it. She ends it like yeah. way later than I thought she was going to end it. Yes, absolutely. Me too. And I was going to mention also that like a similar thing because Madeline had mentioned in interviews that like, because when people usually ask her about like her research process, she always says that oh, that's like the most difficult part. Like even if she's a classics major and that's what she's been doing her whole life. Right. Um, it's still, it was still a chance for her to be able to pick what to include because obviously like the Iliad itself is a canon of that specific time period but then everything that happens before and after that's like multiple stories already from different other from uh, from different other people from other different people and other different you know poets or uh, writers so she really like made a huge effort to pick and choose what 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 she thought would be relevant to the story that she wanted to tell right like wasn't for the people that she wanted to bring it like, wasn't there a thing that she was saying that, like, it was sort of hard for her to choose stuff from um, Achilles' earlier life? Because there are a lot of different yeah. stories about his yes. life. Um, yes. And she had to choose the ones that were, like, relevant to his story arc in the novel. Yeah. Which I think is a yeah. Yeah, pretty interesting and also smart way, I guess, of looking at how yeah. you structure the novel on something that already is pre-existing. Right. Okay, sorry. Can I just... What this... I just thought of this right now, but this kind of is making me think of, like, how film adaptations of, like, comics are also made. How do you mean? Like, because that just... You saying that bit about um, Achilleus, now he has different stories pre... Right, okay, yeah. Pre-Troy. That made me think of, like... Sorry, but uh, I'm gonna have to talk about him. Made me think of Bucky. (laughs) Because his... Um, his like original story is not what they eventually used for MCU. Like his, um, his very first appearance in the comics, he's not even from New York City. He didn't grow up with Steve. Um, he's like from Illinois or something yeah. like that. Like super far from New York, super far from Steve. They only meet when they're like well into adulthood. But I think it wasn't until the canon which they got which they ended up using for the mcu films that they kind of decided that they would use the one where steve and um bucky grew up together and everything right and then eventually adapt winter soldier right because that that story arc came up way later but like he and you know steve were always friends but like go and then there was always going to be like civil war but then there were always different you know ways of getting there right and similarly like i initially thought you were gonna say like someone like spider-man who like oh yeah why did you <laughs> i mean he was the second person i thought of but yeah. also like, honestly the... let's be real i don't know that much about him no, compared but, but, to I mean, how much like, i know about like, bucky no but like like the very bare essential about spider-man's origin is never even shown in the mcu they just assume that oh, you know right. that he was bitten by a spider yeah. and that uncle ben died in yeah, when when they show true. Peter for the first time, he's in... already Spider-Man. Yeah, so I thought true. that's what in MCU, go for. MCU. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They never even mentioned that that Aunt May had a husband before. <laughs> they just think I like, know. yeah, she's been taking care of him. They don't even say what happened to his parents. Right, right, right. Unlike in the Andrew Garfield one. Right, but I think also the sort of like multiplicity of stories is also helpful for us to like kind of view our abstract notion of the myth 
in uh, among like many different angles and many different ways. Like there, there are aspects of it. Like the tapestry of the Iliad is so rich; it has so many full characters. But you could essentially like write like a one-off story or a one-off play about one particular person and kind of just like focus on what was this person's deal. Yeah. So like, like kind exactly. of, kind of, I guess to like illustrate that. Like, do you remember when we went to Ateneo with my sister? And then we yes. watched the play about a character who is like affected, or a set of characters who is affected. It's basically the family of Agamemnon, and how they're affected yes. by uh, the circumstances of the war. Uh, that Iphigenia is sacrificed at, at the altar to um, yeah, but in that play win. she wasn't sacrificed at the altar. Right, right. So it was like really like again like very different perspectives, it, but yeah, to reveal like sort of this more and abstract I, stuff. Yes, and I also want to mention that when we had seen that play, I think I had just reread the book. So I remember afterwards I had googled the play. And it was a play that was written in the 2000s, actually. So that's a fairly modern play, or like a fairly modern script. But then it wasn't until I researched all of their names and stuff that I realized who they were. And then I remembered what had happened in Song of Achilles. And I was like, holy shit. What? That's what happens, Pala. But yeah, in, in that play that we watched, and we'll get into how it is in Song of Achilles later. But in the play that we watched, Iphigenia is sacrificed on the island, if I'm not mistaken. Like, her hometown. She's sacrificed there. Right, right. And she's not brought to where... She never meets Achilles. Achilles, right. She doesn't even know who he is. Right, right. And I really remember her also knowing that she was going to be sacrificed because they had told her that it was, like, her destiny or something. Right. So, whereas in Son of Achilles, that, of course, doesn't happen. And I think also another thing is that... I mean, like, going back to, like, our classes, is that I remember the first time I read it, I recognized immediately when it was like the official start of the Iliad. Right. Because again, the Iliad starts mid like shouting match. Yeah. Right? Yes, between yes. between Agamemnon. Achilles and Agamemnon. Yeah. Right. So Amanda, uh, even though we're both quite familiar with the subject material, I, I wouldn't say that either of us are really experts on Homer, no. which is a big problem because Not at all. this whole miniseries so far is just about Homer. Indeed. But what if we if had there was... a friend <laughs> <laughs> who okay. was an expert at Homer? That's true. What if we had a friend? If only there that was, was so a friend. crazy. If only there was somebody who not only was a friend, but maybe even taught the subject. Yeah. Whoa, did you hear that? That sounded oh gosh, like someone was door. knocking on the door of the rec room. Indeed. Let's tell him to come in. Come in. <laughs> did you just assume the person's gender? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, hey, I think this person's opening the door. It seems clear from the kind of Greek in which the Homeric poems are written that the main text preserved by the Alexandrians came from Athens, where Homer could be heard almost daily in recitals by rhapsodies, 
professional artists who strung together choice passages from the epics, learning by heart parts of the inherited text, and, in a way not entirely approved of by the traditionalists, selling their services for dinner parties and or entertainments. Homer was also used as a manual in school, the poems treated as tales of great men and women, of nobility in crisis, and of the choices people must make when faced with the deepest challenges of their lives. Homer for classical Athens was an encyclopedia of moral choice. It was also performed with enormous elaboration at the four-yearly festival of the Panathenaea, where, at least according to Eustathius, a 12th-century Byzantine bishop of Thessalonica, the reciters of the Odyssey wore sea purple and of the Iliad earth-red costumes, the purple on account of Odysseus's wanderings at sea, the red on account of the slaughter and bloodshed at Troy. If the Odyssey men were soaked in the royal purple dye of the Phoenicians and those of the Iliad in the blood of the heroes, nothing could be clearer about the role Homer played in classical Athens' idea of itself. At their most holy and self-conscious moments, the Athenians gathered for total immersion in the Homeric stories, drinking up the tales from which most of the great tragedies drew their plots and characters, thinking of Homer as the source of what they were, as Athenians. Hi, my name is Leon Pexen, and I once taught Homer to undergrad students, um, and by no means a scholar of Homer, more of an average geek who had the story foisted on him, and who discovered perhaps one of the greatest stories that he had ever imagined through the words of the poet Homer. Homer is said to have been a poet who lived somewhere beyond the 9th century BC. Likely, he was a bard, a teller of songs that were sung by many and from generation to generation. In other words, his stories would never have been his own. But it's likely the case that his telling was the most compelling, was the most insightful. His songs were the strongest songs. He is known for two great stories, two great epics, the Iliad, the story of the warrior Achilles, who is insulted uh, by his king Agamemnon, and who for that reason sits out the battle at Troy, uh, but not only that, begs the gods for the slaughter of his countrymen, the Achaeans, um, so that all may know what a mistake Agamemnon had made when uh, he had insulted Achilles, and so that all may know how sorely missed a warrior of his caliber would be. Achilles only returns after his dear friend Patroclus, who begs to join the war, feeling great compassion for his fellow Achaeans, is himself killed in battle. Achilles returns to the war, turns the tide of battle, but notably the end of the story is not the end of the Trojan War, because that's not the story of the epic. The end of the story is the resolution that Achilles comes to when, after having slaughtered the, the great Trojan hero Hector, he is begged by Hector's father Priam, the great king of Troy, in private for Hector's body and 
he, in an act of mercy and compassion, returns the body of Hector, which is quite noteworthy because it is Hector who kills his dear best friend Patroclus. So that's the Iliad. And then the second, the second great book or great epic that he'd written was the Odyssey, which recounts the return journey of Odysseus, one of the great generals who was present with Achilles and Agamemnon at the Trojan War, uh, who decides not to return directly home to Ithaca, but travels here, there, and everywhere, and in uh, a series of almost comedic episodes, gets in the most horrific trouble, and all in the name of experiencing things for experience's sake. You know, a few weeks ago, um, I watched, again, um, Saving Private Ryan. And uh, when I say again, the first time I'd seen it was, was in 1997, I think, 98, when it first came out. And I'd, I'd never seen it again until a few weeks ago. And watching Saving Private Ryan, I was struck by like the, the masterpiece, cinematic masterpiece that it is. Every single frame uh, crafted, uh, structured, composed so well by Steven Spielberg. And I couldn't help but re recognize that and see that the enjoyment I had gotten from watching Saving Private Ryan was almost identical, akin to the enjoyment I had drawn from the Iliad. In other words, there was in the Iliad that I had read and the Iliad that I had taught the same kind of attention to creating ironic parallels, uh, the same attention to humanizing the most inhumane carnage uh, in the middle of war, um, the same layered composition uh, of scenes, uh, scenes calling back to previous scenes and echoing previous scenes and in that echo creating meaning. And so I'd sat alongside uh, Homer, or, or rather I'd attributed Steven Spielberg's success to Homer, uh, because Homer had gone and done it first, uh, centuries ahead of Spielberg. But I, I, I found myself worried uh, because um, the Iliad that I'd read, a translation into English by Robert Fitzgerald, it was so composed as to conjure in the imagination scenes um, as detailed, scenes as layered, scenes as well composed as Spielberg's masterpiece, Saving Private Ryan. But it led me to wonder if we could, um, and if there might be any way of doing this, or any data to base such conjecture on, if we could return to the times of Homer, or the times of 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 or the oral tradition in which Homer is said to have um, existed, was the experience of Homeric poetry, Homeric singing, or storytelling alike, or to to anything like uh, Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan? Picking up a book uh, from which I read the passage earlier. Uh, the Mighty Dead by Adam Nicholson, which I hope you can all pick up. You can actually find it in, um, in Fully Booked. His explorations 
seem to suggest that uh, Homer's storytelling tradition is is far removed from the storytelling tradition that we that we belong to, our, our cinematic storytelling tradition. And this worries me because, as I say, um, Homer had always been reading Homer had always been to me a cinematographic experience. Uh, the whatever it is Fitzgerald had translated, the result of that was to create in my mind and my imagination um, scenes as cinematographically compelling as Saving Private Ryan, Spielberg, um, dare I say, Quentin Tarantino. Many, uh, of course, what we know Homer for, the dactylic hexameter or hexameter, uh, is um, lines composed of six dactyls, uh, a, a strong charging rhythm that was quite regular and varied um, only slightly from line to line. But in addition to this, um, to this repeated pattern, there were many repeated phrases, repeated formulas um, that allowed a singer who was, was singing this to fill up lines with shreds of verse that matched or fit the dactylic hexameter, the, the, the overarching pattern or overarching metrical pattern of the poem. Now, what does this mean? Uh, uh, is the Homer that I had read, loved, and studied, and taught uh, really the Homer of antiquity? Um, in, in other words, it, is there a break in the tradition? Um, and was he, as there was a great tendency to, for this, a, a cleaning up of Homer, uh, a domesticating of Homer, so as to make him more pleasing aesthetically to our sensibilities? Um, and this seems to be what um, this scholar, American scholar from the 1930s, Milman Perry, seems to discover in the metrical rhythms and the repeated formulae of the Greek that, that he is studying. Now, what seems to redeem or save Homer from something so obscure and so Im impossibly uh, inarticulate as, as repeated lines charging forward is... Perry's trip that he had made in the course of his studies somewhere in the 1930s um, to Yugoslavia uh, to watch and to, to listen to, rather, this living tradition still present at the time in Yugoslavia of bard singers, where there seemed to be um, in the repetition of the singer uh, in the improvised moment of the singer's performance in which he draws on a story that had been told and heard before and whose audience eagerly anticipated moments not just for the fact of their telling or the brute fact of what uh, 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 the plot points but also for the careful construction of sentiment, the, the careful construction of character and scene. Um, there, there seemed to be a synthesis of the singer in the moment, improvising, using repeated uh, uh, meters and patterns to craft um, a compelling tale and a compelling story. 
um, it, in other words, it was not so rigid and so um, uh, hard bound as a, as repetition as repetition would suggest or could suggest. And what's interesting is as they um, as they as they you know traipsed across Yugoslavia, it, it, they found themselves being referred to by villagers, by locals, to certain key singers or singers renowned for the depth of their telling of the same story. In other words, these are stories that they'd all heard before, but this one tells it better. This one tells it with greater depth. This one tells it with such a charisma that one is held, locked in, connected. And uh, that fame, that fame, that, that fame takes place in the context of a tradition of repeated stories, repeated formulae, repeated uh, meters, right? Uh, and yet, in spite of all of this, in spite of all of this, this repetition, there seems to be room for individual genius that can take all of this as material and make of it a compelling tale, so compelling as uh, as to make as, as to make a name for themselves. And uh, Perry. Perry locks on to uh, a certain Yugoslavian singer named Avdo Medjodovic, who um, is referred to uh, by almost all of the people in Yugoslavia as the best singer of them all. And in listening, he says, in listening to Avdo um, and hearing him, he saw in, in, the, in the present, in the contemporary world, an, an incarnation some formulation, uh, some sociological uh, formulation of what Homer could have been. The storyteller who uses as material, f formulate drawn from a tradition, uh, repetitive uh, meters, but in such a way as to be more compelling than the rest, more insightful than the rest. And in, in such ways to have is to have a name made for them for themselves, um, and so like to go back to that question, was Homer one person or is it just a, a mass of stories that have been compiled and then just sort of uh, cleaned out, um, nicely stitched together, uh, a bit of quilt work, uh, a kind of passable Frankenstein of stories. What Milman Perry seems to suggest is. No, the, he, this was the individual genius of a great storyteller whose fame was such that an entire culture could refer back to him or would refer back to him as they told the stories that uh, all of their tradition would have told, but which they would have known to have only been told in a meaningful and in a, in a way worth remembering by certain blind man named Homer. So that's, uh, uh, that's what I have to say. Um, how to close this. Um, and that's what it's all about. Ba -ba -da -ba -ba oh, that was really insightful. Thank you. That was crazy. We so want to thank you, our friend, Leon Paxson. Thank you so much for everything you, you shared with us. Always.
about I miss him a lot. Homer. It's so good to have him here. Absolutely. This room of Rex. Oh, and, and as you can see right now, he's now standing up from the seat. Uh, oh, is he? Oh, if, yes, he, I see it now. He's on his way oh, back yes. to the door. He's going to he's <laughs> going to open the double doors now. <laughs> yeah, we have double doors in our. It's crazy. We have these beautiful French doors. <laughs> and he's now he's now closing the doors. Oh my god! Whoa, that bad? was quite heavy. That was quite heavy. Yeah, that was crazy. I think we got to okay? fix the doors here at yeah. the, the rec room. Okay, so onto the novel. Song of Achilles, as I mentioned earlier, it came out around 2012, and it immediately was like a bestseller. It was a New York Times bestseller. It was a huge hit. Um, again, it went super viral on Tumblr, and I'm I'm really inclined to think that that was like a huge factor in it gaining all that recognition um, and all the awards because she won the 2012 Orange Prize for fiction for it. Um, that award is now called the Woman's Prize for Fiction. Right. And she was also uh, shortlisted that same year for the Stonewall uh, Writer of the Year, which is a big deal also. And from that last latter award, or like shortlisting alone, you can tell like how impactful it was to a certain demographic because it was so clearly, you know, gay. In ways that, like, other, I think, more famous adaptations of the story or of anything that mentions Achilles and Patroclus have been. Like, for example, in the Troy movie, I said I haven't watched it, but in it, aren't they cousins? Oh, that I don't something? remember. I think that's one of the I remember, parts I skimmed over. Yeah, okay. Th- and the only reason why I super remember this is because it, it used to be brought up in, like, fanfic a lot. Like Les Mis fanfic, they would make fun of like Troy for, Wait, for having what? them as cousins. Hey, hang on. They, I'm not made, they made fun. Of, okay, I know that this is like possible in, in fan fiction, but they made yeah. fun. Les Mis no, no, like made would, fun no, no, of the movie Mis, Troy. Like, yes, yes, like modern AU. Like okay. it would be like a yeah. modern AU. Yeah, it's like I got so drunk. Les like, Wait, okay, okay. so when <laughs> during their revolution did they have the they time, have time to be like? It hey, was during the downtime behind the stack of chairs. Yeah, Wolfgang Peterson. This wall of chairs. Brad Pitt's in it, guys. We gotta see it. I know. Like, Cousins sharing a tent, sacro bleu. <laughs> no. Um, but, like, that's, you know, testament to it that this book kind of makes it clear. Yeah, yeah, because I was going to say, and I'm, like, I'm, did you see that tweet yeah, that was like, it was like a thread of tweets. The main point of it was that the text of the Iliad is rich enough that you can actually get a lot of different readings from it without necessarily having to contradict the text. Like, you can yes. see them as cousins or even brothers, but you can also yes. see them as lovers. As it doesn't lovers, have to be yeah. one exclusively. The text yeah. is rich enough that it allows you to activate yes. a, your own experience into the text. So in that case, yeah. like, you Which know... Which I think is hmm. supposed to be the point. Right, exactly. Like, at least in this one, it's making it explicitly mm-hmm. clear, like, yes, they're going to make love and it's going to be beautiful, and mm-hmm. that's fine. Like that's you one way brave. to re- yeah. That's one way to read the Iliad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that's not to like like I guess like put down or like like downgrade the status of Song of Achilles in any way. No, not but at it's all. No, recognizing, I completely what you're Yeah, it's recognizing there's that aspect the flexibility. of flexibility, right? And how that feeds mm-hmm. into or how it like kind of informs the 
the reaction that Achilles has when he finds out yeah. that Patroclus has died. Yes, absolutely. I think there's two major parts of like the Iliad that like people really focus on when it comes to their relationship and where people like start to question what they really were. And it's right. obviously one when when Patroclus um, passes away. And I mean murdered, is murdered. And another is that scene where Odysseus is like, everyone knows why you guys sleep in the same tent. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because some people read that part as like him accusing them of like being like, like guys, it's okay. We know that you're like boning down. But then there are other people who are like, who have read it like, oh, because it's a familial thing. Because you're very close. You grew up together. Your cousins, like that. So uh, that's, you know, the adaptability that I was thinking of. Going into like what I said that um, it depends also on like how you teach it. Because if you just teach it straight, then obviously no one's going to get it and appreciate it. Yeah. But then if you like emphasize that flexibility of the story, the universality of it, yeah. um, then that's what's going to make it really important to people. And like Madeline herself has said that like the reason and i'm not like directly quoting her i'm paraphrasing um that but the reason that we continue to study classics is not you know because we think it's necessary out of like prestige or because it is a classic but it's because like at the end of the day yun, yeah, it's like a really universal story that everybody has to like experience because it's because the iliad at its core i think uh, for me it, it's about like the follies and hubris and how bad people can get and how selfish they can get when it comes to the things they want out of later life or the things that they expect out of their own life. Right. You know, and like, I remember also our professors, I don't know about your professor, but my professor and Leon has said that it's like a cautionary tale more than anything. Oh yeah. And that's why Homer, you know, consistently recited it. And, you know, that makes it, like, the oldest guilt trip cuento. Right. <laughs> like, it's... Can you imagine this old blind man yeah. being like, okay, children, this is why you should be a good person. <laughs> um, so all the, all she's doing in her works is essentially highlighting other aspects of these stories that are so universally known because... You know, you know all the things that happen that in the Iliad, but again, no one really has a set canon on what happened before and after. Right. To, to that point, actually, what you just reminded me also is that um, in that same classic literature class, there's that famous scene in the Iliad where they have to forge a new shield for Achilles. And I think this is like right after Patroclus has died. So he's already like in his divine rage. This is after Patroclus dies. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they're forging a new shield yes. for him. And... Uh, during the discussion for that book, our prof let us also read uh, The Shield of Achilles by W.H. Auden. And even there, like yes. you see as well Which another a... reinterpretation where the images that are yes. emblazoned on the shield, they're engravings yeah. of modern war uh, images. So not, not so much the Trojan. I can't remember if it was Leon who made me read this. Yeah. But yes, I totally know what you mean. Yeah. One of the things... Or like the the backlash that Madeline has gotten with this is one, it's gay. And two, a lot of people are like, well, she's like this scholar from New York and she's very highly regarded in her field, but she's out here writing fanfic for children. Like, 
Like I've I have seen comments be all like, mm, it's not my thing because it reads like YA. And I'm like, why would you know, people obviously say that like with this thing. I actually don't think that it's uh listed as YA. Right. Or like categorized as YA yeah. because I remember Cersei was not. Yeah. I mean there, um, there are elements of it that made me think of YA, that, but it, like especially yes. towards the end, it does not feel like it kind of grows out of it. Yes. Almost. I, I get what you mean, yeah. They're like but roughly then, our also, age uh, when the book ends. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's actually true. Oh my gosh, whoa! I just had like a existential crisis for like yeah. a split second. Anyway, um, <laughs> but like at the same time, there are so many other classical works out there that are essentially fanfic that nobody wants to admit is fanfic. Right. So, so like, what makes her any different besides that she's I don't know a woman, and I don't think that should make this seem any less legitimate. And also, if even if it wasn't fanfic and it was just straight YA, that also doesn't make it any less legitimate. Like, this changed how a lot of people read classics, I think. I remember seeing on Tumblr that um, a lot of people said that this is what made them want to take classics or, like, learn Latin or study Greek mythology. So, you know, you can't deny her influence in that way because she brought something so as we said, inaccessible in a lot of ways or, like, really intimidating to, like, high schoolers. Right. But, okay, I will also say that I want to mention that tweet that went viral recently that you showed me about her. Because, okay, let's be real. She's really popular and she she's very good at what she does because, you know, again, she highlights these moments and, like, players in the stories that don't really get their due diligence. And we'll go more into that uh, in our second episode of this miniseries. But, like, someone pointed out on Twitter that she had a weird line about... Uh, was it Patroclus' skin? For or Achilles', or, uh, Achilles uh, skin? I also forgot because I think when I saw the line in the book when we were rereading this, I literally was like, yeah, okay. I, like, I like went to the next line immediately. Right. Um, but somebody had pointed out that it was weird of her to say that his... One of... That their skin was like freshly pressed olive oil. Right, 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 right. And but freshly pressed olive oil is green. Right. <laughs> Straight up green. And so part of me was like, oh right. So they this were the Hulk? Me... This was Planet Hulk? <laughs> exactly. This was Planet Hulk? What is this? Um but yeah, I guess, you know. As much as I would love to laud her, you know, forever and be a, like she started so much, it's like, okay, at the end of the day she's still a white woman. Right. In America. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So okay, the book. So this book is told from the perspective of Patroclus, and it yes. even begins with his early life uh, before he has even met Achilles. Like he has a brief encounter He's with like him in his early life. Seven when is the right book exactly? And I actually want to jump on that and and kind of like address what is sort of like it's not really a grievance or beef that I have with the book, but it's sort of like a gripe. And it's very nitpicky, honestly. Like, yeah. but I almost like wonder why this was not just called the Song of Patroclus, because yeah, no, I see what you mean. Because like in a lot of ways, yeah, the Iliad, it's not really about right. In in a lot of ways, the Iliad is the song of Achilles to the yes. point that again, what I was saying earlier, the fact that the Iliad ends with. Achilles and Priam making peace and surrendering the body of Hector so that they can grieve over their grieve loss. Over 
that speaks mm-hmm. to the positive, like, or sort of like the redemptive aspect of Achilles in that war, which is, I mean, you yeah. know, like jumping way ahead, kind of how this book ends, like in a metatextual way, it kind of implies like we should remember the positive parts of him. So if anything, the Iliad right. is really the song of Achilles. And this one, it, because it's so deeply entrenched in the perspective and in and in the thoughts and, and in the opinions and feelings of Patroclus towards Achilles, I almost mm-hmm. feel like she could have really named it the song of Patroclus and I would have felt like less, yeah. like I guess like uh, peeved, confused. By it. Yeah, peeved by it, confused by yeah. it. Yeah, but I think also if she didn't, I wonder how easily it would have gotten popular. Sure. Because let's be real, not really people. Like, what if this was just a marketing move, you know? Right. But I, then again, the title I, I don't know, like, at, at least when the way you're describing how people were kind of jumping on it on Tumblr through, like, mixtapes and stuff is always kind of referring to them through their individual characters and through their pairings. So I almost feel like, yeah. like the the title would not really have done much to affect its popularity. But at least like thinking oh, okay, of it in terms fair. of it as a unified whole. And 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 that's also yeah. I think that's the I point. I should have never thought about this. Like that's sort of the point that she's kind of bringing through by giving Patroclus the main voice yeah. in this novel is that right. she's giving it another perspective through which we can understand the relationship between him and Achilles. Um, as yeah. well as understanding who Achilles is. Like, as much as his life is centered around Achilles, like, to kind of um, say that it's Achilles' song alone and not Patroclus is kind of like yeah. almost pushing him aside, which I guess is maybe yeah. also the argument for that being the point. Because oh, okay, Patroclus right. is, like, repeatedly reminded over and over again that Achilles is the one like who he's... will be remembered in history. He's yeah. the one who will be glorified, not yeah. you. So if if yeah. anything, like Madeline, Madeline is kind maybe of maybe that's like, her being like, yeah, yeah, she's kind of like putting down Patroclus with the title, of the yeah. Movie. <laughs> Which she I think was is like, and kind of funny. Drive it home. <laughs> like okay, it's like this guy's had enough. Right. Please, yeah. <laughs> but He's, uh, he needs to remember who he is, right? So, but like, yeah, he. It starts out in his home kingdom. He has a very cruel father, King Minoetius. Uh, Men- mm-hmm. Menoetus, I'm really sorry, but then Menoetius, uh, super Jewish. <laughs> but like even then, like the 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 stakes for the Trojan War are kind of set up already from the get go, because within the first two chapters, they're made to go to Sparta uh, for this huge like betrothal ceremony, where yeah. Helen has to choose a suitor, and you know obviously like that ends up with Helen eventually choosing. Uh, Menelaus but then at the same time you also get a heads up of all the key players the people who will be key players in the Trojan War afterwards like you'll see um, Odysseus is a huge presence in that thing even though he's not um, actively seeking the courtship of Helen he has he plays like a huge role there Uh, Ajax is also there Philoctetes is also there who like yep. the same. Literally, Are we talking about the same guy from Disney's uh, Hercules? <laughs> like the, <laughs> no, it, he might be. I think so. And then like, but again, Disney really just like readapted his character to be yeah, yeah, like a font. That's, yeah, that's true. Because no, but then like, isn't he the one who his offering to 
Helen or their family is is a bow from right. Hercules. Yeah, so like he is the Hercules, what Patroclus will eventually be to Achilles, essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Patroclus But at this point Hercules is already um Yeah, like he's already he like a legendary I cannot say, but uh he is already like a legendary figure at that time. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. to them he's from the generation before, so Philoctetes is already like yeah. an old man. Um, yeah. And Patroclus himself is even offered up as a, a suitor, but you know, like this guy, doesn't he's really, not there. yeah, he, he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. really know what's going on, and he, yeah, and yeah, because he thinks I'm nine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Literally, he says he literally, literally, yeah, yeah. But the other crucial thing that happens at the betrothal ceremony is like they kind of have this call to honor, where um, Odysseus like advises the father of Helen that. Oh, okay. Here's what's gonna happen. If you let her choose, so that it will be an honorable choice, like you know, then we can all say, like, yeah, like obviously, like, like that's the way to go. Yeah. But then all of you have to honor that choice and swear an oath that if somebody tries to break, uh, like, go against her wishes, then you will defend her honor um, by joining or taking up arms. And so everyone swears to it, Patroclus included. But he's also like, thanks, I'm nine. Right. Again, thanks, I'm nine. She chooses Menelaus and then mm-hmm. Menelaus, Menelaus. And then that's kind of it. Like, they go home disappointed. Mm-hmm. Right after that, Patroclus gets into this incident where he accidentally kills a boy. Mm-hmm. And that becomes sort of a... He, well, to be fair, he was being bullied. Right. He was being bullied by a boy. And, like, in self-defense, he pushes him. And the boy, like, mm-hmm. falls against, like, a rock. Which, like, cracks his skull and then he... Yeah, it and it like traumatizes Patroclus for a good part of his life. At least it stays yeah. with him until like I I think he's barely thinking about it when when they're, when they're already in Troy. Yeah, yeah. But like it's with but him the, for quite a long yeah. time, and because he can't really defend himself and his father hates him, he gets exiled mm-hmm. to the kingdom of Phthia or Phthia, mm-hmm. um, which is ruled by Peleus. Um, and the story that's well known is that Peleus was like this guy who's like really loyal to the gods he swore fealty to them and kind of as a reward they offered one of the lower goddesses to To his wife wife. yeah to be his wife and that was like sort of unwilling on her part so essentially like he he rapes Thetis the goddess Thetis Uh, and their child is the half godson Achilles whom Patroclus had seen years earlier in like an Olympic contest where he was like he won a race. Yeah. And like the idea is that Priam like adopts a lot of kids who are kind of cast off by their families and he kind of just raises them as his foster son. So like Patroclus falls into that where he's along with all these other boys who are very competitively seeking the attention of Achilles. Uh this was actually the part where I felt like it was most like YA. Because it felt like, oh, okay, this kid's just been sent off to military school. Yeah. He has a lot of feelings. He doesn't want to be here. All the kids mm-hmm. are bullying him. But they're mm-hmm. also, like, trying to, like, buddy up At in this point, he way. should literally be, like, 10 or something. Yeah, and, and they literally have, like, a cafeteria. I mean, it's a cafe, but it's a yeah, mess hall. the mess hall. Yeah, yeah. I also, where, like, I also pictured it like a mess hall. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is a mess hall. But then, like... Um, like at the same time, like Achilles is like sort of seeing like, oh, who's this lonely guy who's emo just child. Like, yeah, this emo child who like I I remember meeting, but you know he's always like very by himself. 
and like what causes them to kind of like encounter like Achilles is the one who comes up to him when Patroclus is like feeling really despondent he misses like training so Achilles comes up to him and is like uh hey I noticed you weren't at uh training earlier uh what's the deal and then Patroclus no he didn't notice no 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 it was actually that uh the the coach so to speak made some bong right to okay, the king okay. got it got it got it and then Achilles heard about it, and then he immediately knew that the next day they would look for Patroclus and punish him. And he didn't want that for some reason. Like, like there was something in his gut that was telling him, like, this person should not be, like, physically. Yeah. You know? And at, the, at that point, I think everyone kind of already knew why Patroclus was there. Right. That's why he, that's why he also got um, kind of more withdrawn than he initially was because people really avoided him. Yeah. Because which, he was, it was kind of already known that he had killed somebody. Yeah, which, like, I, I guess, like, from the perspective of the other boys, like, their avoidance of him is really, like, kind of signaling itself as fear of him. Like, oh, we're trying to prove ourselves as, like, macho guys like buddies yeah. with this with the the prince of this kingdom but here's yeah. the guy who's actually killed another boy like i've never been that cold blooded and they kind of take that moral yeah, yeah. high ground from him yeah exactly but that's also sort of what i mean not not that specifically but achilles kind of being ostracized from the other boys like really in, sort of endears him to him and then mm-hmm. eventually he helps patroclus make up an excuse for why he mispracticed and that excuse is that, oh, he just wanted to accompany Achilles on his training. And this basically like builds up to Achilles asking his father, can I make Patroclus my like my lifelong companion? Uh, Which is old Greek yeah. for husband. No, yeah, the theropon. Not that's well, not yet, but like but but they're you know, like it's it's it was customary. Like it wasn't yeah. a, a weird request. Right. It it was an interesting And like even the the dad says Right, he says something yeah. that's like I've offered you many boys before to pick as your companion, but you've never taken one until now. There's, until it's somebody that I actually don't care for. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that I saw, like when when she deploys that word therapon, I mm-hmm. realized like, oh, they've been speaking Greek this whole time, and we're just like hearing it as English. Which sort of like yes. unlocks oh, yeah. the okay. aspect of it that yeah. you you know that's one of my favorite right. parts about the book. Like it's like I it, mean, like how she writes it. it. It's if anything, it's the one thing that helps to suggest again the openness of the text because then yes. it kind of asks you to rely on her her quote unquote translation to give you the yeah. spirit of what they're saying. Absolutely, which you know, which means yeah. to say, like, not everything that you read here is necessarily. 100% one-to-one accurate to what happened and like some things that she might have taken liberty to not to say that she didn't do research but she was able to adapt it from things that people would be able to relate to um, yeah. and you're kind of seeing it in a translated form so like this thing that we were saying of like the mess hall and thinking of it almost as a boys school cafeteria like that's in a way right. almost part of the translation that we bring to it as readers that's true yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah. But yeah. Um so they... the whole thing where she does that across the whole novel. Yep. And I love yeah. it. Like yeah. when she says like like she says the word in English but then like or like Patroclus says the word in English. It looks like it's English. Yeah. But then he notes that 
as he used a specific Yeah, word. don't they have like a specific name yeah. for him that means owl? But they never say what the word is or something. Or they say yeah, or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then also when they, we'll talk about this a bit later, but when they're already in that other island with the girls. Yeah. Um, she uh, the way that Achilles gets outed in that scene right. is that she says something that's in the male gender, right? Or like the gender yes, form of, yes, of, yes, that, that's right. of that insult, and um, like she says, she says I, like heartbreaker or something like or heartless, but yeah. she says it in the male form, yeah, and that's what makes everyone there realize. realize. Yeah, which Ooh, which on which the other so right on the other hand, like I think that worked to the opposite effect for me, because whereas like this one of Therapon and then later on Hubris, they yeah, use hubris. the word Hubris to, when they when they use Hubris, yeah, I'm the like nuance pride. But then like yeah. um, when they did that scene on Skyros, where she uses the masculine form of the word. Um, like I got confused because I wasn't necessarily familiar with that aspect of Achilles' life. So I really had to kind of like step oh. away from the text for a bit and be like, wait, what's going on here? What do they think Achilles... What What's going on with Achilles? And that's when I right. learned outside of the text, like, oh, he's being disguised as a handmaiden. I thought he was just there. This whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, to be fair, Rin, I remember also being kind of confused about that part because the way that Madeline says it in the book for that scene is that Patroclus sees Achilles. And then part of the way she mentions it is like, um, I see Achilles, for it is Achilles. Right. That's right. all she says. Right. And then it doesn't mention that everyone else is like seems to be under a, a rouse of some sort. Right. And it's not until that bit with uh what's her name? Didomedes? Oh my god, no, she's female. So Didomea, uh, sorry. Didomea. Um with Didomea that she says that and then later, Thetis admits that they deceived everyone, that you're kind of just like, oh, it's a girl. Right, you are? right. I mean, right. it's a man. It's not yeah. a girl. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. So Patroclus, because he becomes Achilles' Therapon, it kind of draws the attention of those closest to Achilles to Patroclus. So like one of the things that happens where after Patroclus becomes a Therapon is that he meets Thetis who is very like sort of like yeah. like threatening to Patroclus yeah. like hey I don't want you to like she's like very much a like helicopter mom where she's like I don't want you to ruin like my son's future mm-hmm. like he's here to become the greatest warrior that Greece has ever yeah. known and, and you're she not gonna... like specifically says you're gonna die one yeah you, yeah she like negs him like aggressively yeah. it's like you will be forgotten and, like, so don't Patroclus think... always describes her like whenever she shows up, Patroclus always makes sure to mention something about her physicality. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because you know she's a goddess, or if he if that's just to emphasize how frightening she really is. Yeah, and how much he like basically hates her, but is also still terrified of her. Right, right. Um, and I also wanted to mention that like when I had first read this book, I did a bit of research about like Thetis, I think. Yeah. And I remember, this was long ago, I didn't, I haven't since double-checked, but I think this, her, Madeline's characterization of Thetis in this is like her first really big, like her taking the most liberties. Mm-hmm. Because I think in other canons, uh, Thetis is very submissive to the situation. Right. Like she's, 
And she's all she's not scary at all. Like right. she's a goddess that was offered to Peleus and she is still not super willing, but she like lets it happen. Yeah, yeah. Whereas here, Thetis, there was a struggle. Yeah. And that in eventually led to her having to, you know, be like, assaulted. Yeah. And then she was forced to stay as like on the island for like um, a whole year. And then um, as soon as Achilles was born, she like jumped into the sea again because she never wanted to be with mortals. Right. And she always across the novel has such disdain for humans. Like that's why she never really that's looks right. at Patroclus. Right. She hates talking to them and stuff like that. Whereas I think in other things, she's such a minor god yeah. Yeah. that like she barely has any characteristics. Right. Like, would you say that because that, that was something that I was also kind of getting from at the end was that she invested so much into this projection of Achilles' success. And yes. I you know, I wondered if if you thought that maybe this was something that she was trying to do to I guess like sort of reclaim herself uh or like move yeah move past um what had happened to her what happened to her yeah right and kind like, of i don't hmm. doubt that she like loves her son yes but obviously at the end of the day she knows that he's half of something that she's not yes and she wants to remove that from him right you right. know it doesn't help also that like she is constantly taunted by this prophecy Right, because very explicitly, her aspiration is for Achilles is for him to become a god, or to be to yes. be ascended to the level of the gods, um, yes. and to shed that human aspect of himself, which he can yes, only apparently achieve through glory. But as you're yeah. saying now, like there is that double sided aspect of it, which is that he will have to die young in battle mm-hmm. for him to yes. reach that status, which is also something that she's not sure that she wants to do. Um, and even Achilles himself, he's very self-aware about that prophecy to the point of saying, I, you know what, I'm going to change history. I'm going to be the first ever hero who dies happy. I'm going to be the first yeah. ever hero who like grows yeah. old. And like the whole time I was just like, oh, honey. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. Oh, you know, there's no. so many. You, if you've read the Iliad first, yeah. talaga, and then you read this, there's certain lines <laughs> talaga, where you're just like, oh, you sweet, sweet summer child. <laughs> Wait till you... There- Get to a specific point the, in time. The one, the one that also kind of, <laughs> the one that kind of irked me a bit, but which it was so funny was the one with Hector. Yeah, they keep like kind of dragging the points, like why Hector's mm. never done anything to me, and like yeah, because because the, why would I kill him if he's yeah, never done anything? Yeah, like to me. they, she kind of like use reuses the same phrase over and over again that it reads quite yeah. dryly, but it was almost like yeah, kind of like we get it, like we know he's gonna kill. The yeah, no, but then it was funny because I remember in like one of the second or third times that he says the why would I kill Hector he's never done anything to me I think he says it in front of Odysseus and even Odysseus like oh come on (laughs) (laughs) like Odysseus like even if you didn't have a prophecy that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard we're going into war asshat yeah people die here (laughs) you're gonna kill somebody yeah Yeah, man war means literal death yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um they turn they each t- they turn 30 and they reach puberty and it's around that time where 
like they start like developing like romantic feelings for each other. They have a moment where they kiss each other on the beach. Um, and they're like, oh no, what's happening to my feelings and my body? Um, yeah. Uh, and basically, like after that moment, um, he's kind of rushed off for the first time uh, away from Phythia, and he he ends up being brought to the the cave of Chiron, who's a centaur, uh, and like a legendary like military trainer who's taught he's mentored um, Her- Hercules. Hercules, right? And like Patroclus kind of panics over that because he kind of and Jason, yeah, yeah, and, and Patroc- who has the most chill name out of everyone. Sorry, I just have to say every time. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of that Mulaney bit where it's like where he says, "How come the wives in Bible stories have really normal <laughs> yeah, names?" Yeah, yeah. Like here's here we have Abraham and his wife Kylie. Like, <laughs> yeah. like that's what this is like. Whenever he'd be like, "I've taught Hercules." And also Jason. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, like, he's a legendary trainer. And then um, Patroclus kind of goes off sorry, to sorry. follow him uh, after panicking. Like, oh, he left without telling me or nobody told me he left. So he follows him to Mount Pelion to keep, catch up with him. And he does. And they end up, like, being trained together. So, mm-hmm. like, like, it was also sort of funny to me that they were kind of, like, yeah, you swore. They swore. You guys swore an oath as Therapon, so I don't see why they wouldn't have told Patroclus right off the bat, like, "Oh, he's going off for training." Because when he does get the Mount Pelion and he gets into Chiron's cave, Chiron's just like, "Yeah, okay, sure, I'll I'll train you too." Yeah, I guess I've heard. You know? Well, yeah, yeah, like we know, we know. Yeah, and it, they eventually are. It becomes clear that um, sorry before he gets brought to uh, Chiron. Chiron. Mm. What have we been calling him? Chiron. Sorry. I think. Chiron. I'm so sorry. Chiron. Um, Thetis, like, doesn't she already threaten Patroclus? Yeah, she's, she's been threatening really him like, like, reg- on the regular. Yeah, like, on the don't, regular. And don't this follow is... him. Don't uh, Oh, no, yeah. Stay this wasn't a specific one because it was right after they kissed. Yeah. She, Achilles runs away and then he tries to go after Achilles, but then Thetis comes out of nowhere and she's like, I fucking saw that. And she's like, you need to stop because he's going to go somewhere and you should not even, like, try to follow. Right. And and Patroclus doesn't really know what that means. And then the next day, oh, no, when he gets back to the palace, Achilles says that I'm leaving tomorrow right. for training. Yeah, that's And it. then Patroclus... Uh, wakes up with him gone already, and then he follows him, and then yeah. So we're so we're in the mountain. Yeah, and it's, and it's during the mountain. I think the main important thing that happens is that they become like sort of open about their feelings to each other, and they're no longer scared about it. Oh hell yeah! Right. So because in, yeah, and that reason yeah is because th- as I said earlier, Thetis had seen their first kiss. Yes, but in the cave of Chiron. I guess there's something blocking. Maybe that's part of like Chiron's powers. Yeah, and he probably did that. But yeah, so the that's one of can't the first. See them there, and that yeah. gives them sort of license to be like, yeah, we're we're alone now. Like, yeah, we what are if we, alone. What if we now? got what if, it? What if what if we what if, get it? What what if what if, what if, what if we get it? Us? <laughs> <laughs> like like probably that was I don't know I don't know Greek at all, but I'm assuming that was yeah, the. That's what, that's, using what, the that's what they were saying in Greek. In yeah. old Greek, they were like, what if we 
got it us. What if? What if we got this together? But they, yeah, so they, um, they get they, they get it on. Basically, they do. That's the big thing that happens in mm-hmm. Kyron's Mountain, and eventually, like shortly after that, uh, somebody arrives to summon Achilles back to the kingdom because there's been news from Troy, and they're just like, well, that doesn't. It doesn't seem like it's going to be anything big. It's going to be like one or two days. And we'll come back here to Mount no, Bellion. Oh, this is the saddest part yeah, for it's, me. It's, it's, it's quite this sad. This is so sad. Like, you know, they've been like living this very idyllic life in um, yeah. in Mount Bellion. Where yeah. they're just getting all these gifts every time like Achilles turns a it's year older. Birthday. So like for, for Patroclus, like this is the life. It's fine. Yeah. And the fact and that he they, loves Chiron. Right. He literally is like... This man is my father. Yeah, the one I never <laughs> like, had. Literally, yeah. And, and I remember one of my favorite lines from that bit is when he says that his triumvirate of like fear is Chiron, Peleus, and Thetis. Like right. he does not want to offend and disappoint any of them. Yeah. And I was like, we get it. You got issues. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And like before they go, Chiron kind of like tells Achilles like he had asked him previously like hey men are gonna ask you if you can fight for them so what what are you gonna say to them and Achilles is like I don't really know and Chiron's like well you have to know like it's important yeah. for you to know you have to be prepared for that possibility so just be prepared for yeah. that and he like tells Patroclus like and you are more persistent now so good for you kid yeah so just like that's that yeah it was really like such a yeah and then the fact that Achilles was like, "We're gonna be, come back tomorrow. It's okay." Yeah, don't worry. We'll be we'll break, we'll stop. Don't by, worry. We'll stop by seven and then eleven. Never, if you want like a yeah, yeah. Or something. Like you want like a snack? <laughs> we'll bring you something. We'll bring, like they'll bring pasalubong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, like, and it's really sad because they never go back. Yeah, they never do. They never. That's it. They that's the last do. time they see Kyra ever again. Yeah, so much happens. And this is like already quarter. I mean, they they receive something from him. Yeah, but like his Eventually, like his they, presence they is like never severely diminished yeah. at that point. Because uh, yeah. when they do arrive back at uh, Phythia, they find out like yeah, Helen's been taken by P- Paris of Troy, and um, it's it. What made the crime even more serious in Greek society, as we all know from the Iliad, is that it happened while Menelaus was hosting the Trojans. So they yes. they committed a crime against their host, which is like, yeah. like even carried on to like Dante. That's uh, one of the worst crimes you can yeah. ever do, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, and even I would say in Nolimitagra. Right, right. So the that's a whole thing where they're like, okay, so this is definitely going to escalate the war. Achilles, you are obviously our greatest warrior. You need to lead the war party into battle. That's going to be your right. whole thing. Um, but like. To the credit of his dad, Peleus, Peleus is like, but you're an adult now. I'm going to let you decide if you really want to do this. And Achilles like, and Patroclus have to like reassure her, re- reassure each other that like, okay, you know, if we end up having to go, I'll go with you. But like, they're both like not really feeling like they want to do it or they, yeah. they have to go because it's not really their squabble. But at the same time, that also reminds Patroclus, like, oh, yeah, I have an oath, Bella. I have to fulfill yeah. an oath, man. So, yeah. like, they're kind of No, like... yeah, and remember how when they are having dinner, somebody recites the names of the people, yes, yeah, of yeah. the men who yeah, had yeah. sworn the oath, and then 
Patroclus' name wasn't even read as Patroclus. It was read as like Menoitius, son, the son of Menoitius. Men, men, so that would be like Menoitides. Yeah, 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 something yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. that. Correct, correct. So, and then when he says that, literally somebody said who? He <laughs> <laughs> was like, was like and, "I'm Star Lord, man." <laughs> yes, exactly. No, and then and then Achilles Pa has to be like, "What was that? You, you were there." And then he's like, yeah, I was nine. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Akira's was like, okay, just don't fucking say anything. Like, it's yeah. cool. We'll figure this out. And then you know, they eventually figure out that, like, they don't want to go. But then... But then what, what happens, happens is... What happens then is that Achilles disappears yet again for the second time. Yes. And he rushes all over. He tries to find out what the hell happened. And the one who tells him is one of the lieutenants uh, uh, there in, in Phythia, whose name, by the way, is my favorite spelling of the word phoenix. It's Phoenix. 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 I I I want to pronounce. I really want to pronounce. I really want to say Phoenix. As Phoenix. <laughs> okay, let's. It's we're so calling good. him Phoenix. Phoenix, please let him. I literally Phoenix. was supposed to message Leon also and be like, "Hey, how do you pronounce this?" Because <laughs> <laughs> you would know. Everyone's like, "It's P H E O N I X," right? And then, and then if that's e- true, like if you want to read it phonetically, I'm like, "Fuck this! I'm gonna go Phoenix here." <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be Phoenix, my boy. I've been being like, I've been reading it. Like I'm, I'm from New Zealand. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Phoenix. <laughs> oh, I can't do it. I did it good in my head, but like I, I'm not gonna do it again. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so him, so he's taken who is like to... the best, by the way. Yeah. He tells Patroclus like, "Oh, he's been taken to Skyros, so you have to go to Skyros." So he goes to Skyros. No, what? wait. This isn't it. Peleus who tells him. Oh. That is correct. Because, because yeah, no, somebody, sorry. Phoenix po- yeah, only tells him that Thetis was Phoenix the one who is the one who was like, Thetis took him. You didn't know something like that, right? Right. And then, and then he says something like, "Peleus didn't tell you." And then that's when he realizes, "Okay, oh, they've right. been correct. keeping sorry. shit yeah, from you're me." Right, you're right. You're yeah. Right. So, and this part is important because it's also that scene where she, where he confronts Peleus to ask um, where he's been. Where Achilles has been brought, it's also it's also like one of the biggest moments where Madeline flexes her like, you know, experience and her credentials. Right. Because the way that he asks Pleios is like, what's it called? Supplication. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does like so a pose it's like a where whole he's thing. like kneeling in front of Pleios. He's kneeling and yeah, really close to him and holding and his knee and he his chin. Hold, holds him. Yes, correct. Like that. And I was like, whoa, this is so specific. Yeah. I don't even think there's an, a moment in, uh, like, the Iliad Mismo where that happens. So that's another thing also where, like, you see these bits of, like, their culture that you probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yes. That aren't necessarily related to war. So, and that's how Peleus becomes kind of, what do you call that? Obligated to tell him the truth. Right. And so he says that, He's in. It's been Skyros. Skyros. Yeah, Skyros? and then I want to say Skyros. Uh, okay. But Skyros sister. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm so sorry. So over at Skyros, um, the thing we have already mentioned that uh, there's a whole encounter with the princess Daedamea, and that Achilles has been disguised as one of Daedamea's handmaidens. Um, but there's like a whole ruse where they eventually figure out, figure that out. And uh, there's more. There are more things that are revealed, um, and the most important of that is that um, Achilles has apparently been married off to Daedamea, 
and that Data Mea is bearing or is, is like is supposed Achilles to bear Achilles' child. Right. Um, but even her dad didn't know this. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like, the only people who really knew were Daidomea and Achilles, and, and that of is, course, yeah. that is because was, she was the one who orchestrated the whole. Exactly, thing. exactly. And like that, there was sort of like the insidious thing that Thetis did is she really manipulated them to kind of like follow through with that plan where she was like telling Achilles, "Nah, okay, if you sleep with this." girl then um you know i'll bring patroclus over here um no she said she'll tell him yeah and and like basically not even bring him she'll just tell him yeah yeah and then like and like patroclus eventually reveals like she never told me shit man it was literally your dad who told me that you'd be here yeah and like achilles feels yeah, so betrayed like, like mother literally mother chicken <laughs> mother yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, he, so that that whole thing happens and like Data Mea, poor girl is like really like pissed off like with this whole thing like shit man like you yeah you she's tell, really like no screaming one, no that one part is like the thing that happens though I think that it's really that whole scene where she loses her mind very publicly yeah is so great but so painful but so great yeah like when when it's when Achilles and Patroclus recognize each other, Achilles right away throws himself at Patroclus, and Daedalus starts shrieking. She is like screaming her head off, and then the dad's like, "What the hell is going on? Why you keep yourself composed? Like, there's no reason for you to shriek or whatever." And then, like, like Amides is like, "Who?" Uh, who is the guy? Like, why do you know him? Why do you know our visitor? And and Achilles just goes like, he's my husband. And that makes everything worse. Yeah. Exponentially worse. Because she is screaming louder. And then Theta shows up. And then again, the big reveal happens. Yeah. And then more reveals happen. Yeah. This is all in three pages, by the way. Yeah, this there, is like three or four there's pages. There's a lot hap- that, that happens happening. here on Skyros. And like, the other thing that happens is that eventually, like, Patroclus also gets to sleep with Data Mea. Yeah, and that's also a very sad Yeah, it's scene. very, very sad. It's like, annoying at first, but then it becomes... Like so, you, can you, I just say, okay, this is also something that Madeline is very good at. Yeah. Um, and this will come up again in Cersei, mm-hmm. but like in that scene where like um, she... Data Mea confronts Patroclus mm-hmm. in her rooms. At the beginning, you're, it's so annoying like it's really painful to read because she's being super mean she all she's doing is insulting him she's saying that he's ugly he probably can't fight and also this is another thing this is a side thing from what i was majorly gonna say but like um it's like i love how nobody's questioning that they're husbands right it's more like questioning like you didn't tell (laughs) yeah the whole situation as a whole and then it turns into her being like Bakit ikaw? You're not even boggy. Yeah. You know? Like, not even like, you're a man! Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's more like, you're ugly, you're so bony. Yeah. And then he, he as a, is at a loss for words. And she eventually slaps him at one point. Yeah. After he says sorry, and she's like, whatever, fuck you. She slaps him. And then, and then from there, it just dips and becomes super, super... Like you feel so bad for her. Like you go from feeling so mad about 
this girl's behavior into yeah. being like, oh, but then at the end of the day, she didn't know. She's super victim to circumstance. Right, because one of the things that's that some... she resents Patroclus for is this idea like, Achilles will never see me as his wife and the mother yes. of his child because of you. His so now child. I'm going to yeah. bear this child that Achilles won't even see as his own son. She's yeah, like, oh exactly. God, that's, that's and sad. then And that's super sad, right? Yeah. And... Sh- and Madeline tends to do that with female characters mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Like with Thetis, she's, she does that here also. Like, Baron, you just hate her so much. Because you're like, can you stop talking to Patroclus like that? Can you just like be a reasonable thing? <laughs> she's not a person. I was going to say person. Yeah. But can you be reasonable for once in your life? But she can't be because she's a goddess. And also because she has been so victimized by this entire thing right. since the beginning. The fates have really, like, fucked yeah. her over. But that being said, I think it's interesting to point out how, like, this is probably the one thing... This is, like, the one incident throughout the whole book where Thetis seems to exhibit the most power or control over. Like, as a sinister... A situation, is, yes. Agreed. And, and, like, overall, like, one thing that made me feel like sort of... This felt like very unfamiliar territory because, like, at least in the Iliad, as, as we know... Like, the gods are so active there. And even, like, in the yeah. Odyssey, like, literally the first scene of the Odyssey is on Olympus, and the gods are arguing with one another. And it's, yeah. like, a whole scene. But, like, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. literally the only god you ever goddess you ever see is Thetis. You don't see Thetis, Zeus, yes. you don't see Mercury or Apollo yeah. or anyone. They don't disguise themselves as anybody. Oh, wait, no, you do see Apollo. Oh, right, no, yeah, sorry. He's at the there end. at the end. Yeah, that's true, that's true. But, like, he he's barely there, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, true. Whereas, he, like, he literally... In the Iliad, they were so there the whole time. Yeah, they right? they were there so much that uh, everything happened yeah. literally because they were there so much. Exactly, exactly. So, I think, like, that was sort of an interesting, like, decision on her part. I don't know, like, if yeah, that's something, like, that's a challenge. True. that. But, like, the the whole idea of... Well, to be fair, like... Even later on when they're trying to get to Troy and they do all these things like the sacrifices and like the priests who are kind of interpreting the wills of the gods, you know, there's never a moment. Yeah, but it's where still that see... moment where I mean like it's still that aspect of like it has to pass through that, somebody. Yeah, like and especially like Thetis is the one who's also relating like, well, this is how the gods are kind of like arguing about it. Yeah. Now. So that's sort of the thing. That's true. And even with uh, when Achilleus comes to talk, whenever he says, I I need to talk to my mother, he's still the one that ends up bringing back what she said. Right. right. So there's, yeah. So eventually, Dedemea uh, leaves uh, Skyros altogether, and supposedly she's visiting an aunt, but she's already, like, pregnant with um, Achilles' child. Yeah, and uh, it's like, the dad wants him, her to go away before it's before she swells. Right. Because nobody, again, nobody in the kingdom knows that yes, she's Yes, because married. they still think Achilles is the handmaiden. Um, yeah. At the sa- around the same time, or shortly after, that's when Odysseus and Diomedes arrive. And they're there, like, they, they're there supposedly to, um, like, recruit people and, like, ca- casually just ask people, like, hey, you want to join the war? This is what's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, just a bunch of the guys were going down the yeah. Troy, and it's gonna be cool. You know, there's gonna be a lot of glory, and yeah. you know, we could stop by Seven Eleven all the way. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. Um, the, there's the, a Seven Eleven and Argos if you want to go. Ar- and there's an Ar- and there's an Argos at Argos. Yeah. 
<laughs> sorry, Brit, Brit, that's, that's, that's a British joke, I think. Um, that is, that is. Anyway, uh, that's very good so, of you. so eventually, like, it's revealed, like, obviously, that's a ruse because Odysseus's whole thing is like forming ruses. He's very clever, and they've yeah. known that Achilles He's... and Patroclus were in Skyros the whole time. So they're just doing a, mm-hmm. a thing to trap them and basically urge them to come back. Hey, like, you guys are really needed. At least Achilles, you were especially necessary for us to, like, do this thing. Yeah. And so, like, around that time as well, like, they're like, fine, I guess, okay, Achilles has to go. And so does Patroclus, because they invoke his oath. Um, But that's also when... Oh, wait, sorry, but before they leave... Yeah, that's also when Thetis reveals, like... Yes, okay. here's the thing. Yeah, if... Like, the the two problems, there are two ways that this could go. If Achilles doesn't go to Troy, his divinity will fade, and he's going to basically die as a human, a full human, which yeah. obviously she doesn't want. But then, And he eventually realizes that he also does not Yeah, want. he doesn't. He loves, like, kind of that kind of divine aspect of him. And that's mm-hmm. sort of the thing that kind of dooms them also, because as for um, if he goes to the war, they the fates have decided that he will certainly die young. If he goes to Troy yeah. and they, they try to figure out like, what are the specifics of that? Like, is there a way that we can prevent it? And the thing that is revealed is that, okay, it's only going to happen after um, Hector is killed by Achilles. And that, as we mentioned before, is the whole thing where it's like, well, that's easy. I don't have any reason to kill Hector. Yeah. So, and that's why he, yeah. Yeah. Like keeps it's bringing up because he's like, I don't, and and that sort of thing, because like jumping ahead a bit, like even though he holds on to that, that becomes a very crucial tension point for him and the the Greeks or the the Achaeans. The, I was gonna say the Achaeans. Oh, just no, the Achaeans. Is it Achaeans? Are they Achaeans? Yeah, the Achaeans. Um, is that you know, like if you're such a great. Who are the Myrmidons? The the Myrmidons are the, the specific. Trojans? No, the the Myrmidons are the specific um, warriors from Phthia. They're like neighboring, oh, yeah, like, like a neighboring okay. system. Okay, um, okay, yeah. okay, okay. They're yeah, so they're like the spec ops people of Phidia, and then like the whole idea is that the Achaeans sort of accuse him of not being that great a warrior because he hasn't killed Hector yet. Killed Hector, and yet, like yeah. kind of like it gets the Achilles head almost, where like that excuse is just the only thing that's barely holding him from killing Hector, and obviously mm-hmm. the tipping point of that is when he kills Patroclus. Yeah, um, but he, he has an interesting line also mm-hmm. where um, he asks. This is also jumping a bit ahead, but he asks Briseis about the royal family. Yeah, he's like, "What do you know about Hector?" And he's and she admits, "Well, I don't know much about him, but I know about his wife because they were because she's from a neighboring village, right? From where I'm from." And then and then she explains that she had like a lot of brothers and sisters and her her dad was a nobleman etc all these things and she's from the specific town and then when they're alone Achilles admits to Patroclus that they raided that town at the beginning of their you know in the yeah, early years of the, the war of and then he and he killed all of like the brothers-in-law of, yeah of Priam or Hector of of Hector, basically all, of Hector's wife. Hector, yeah, yeah. The, so Hector's brothers-in-law. He's he killed all of them except one. Yeah, because he was like, at least their line isn't gonna die. Right, right. And then, and then Patroclus like thinks like, well, 
who else would be this merciful? But also, is yeah, like, it's like it's, yeah, is it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, and then, right. and then, and then, Achilles says, "It's funny. I always say that Hector uh, has never done anything to me, but now he cannot say the same." Right. And right. I was like, oh. oh, yeah, that's that. That is such a good line. For me. I thought that. Was yeah. Um, right. Okay, let's let's kind of like hurry through the next part because at this point, like when they start leaving for Troy, that's already like the halfway point of the book. Um, and basically, there are all these things where it's like, hey, you have to recognize um, Agamemnon as your commander, as your leader. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, Achilles is like, I'm not going to do that. What are you talking about? Yeah, like, why the fuck would I do <laughs> that? Like, 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 this guy's. He makes a good point, though, Chris. So he's like, he says, why would I do that when we're all generals? Yeah, exactly. And right? then Odysseus is like, yeah, but I mean, then, you're you right, know, it's but, his uh, family. Yeah, like, we're kind of so here he for kinda, him. We kinda have, yeah, like, it's a party we for this guy. Made this pledge for him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and, and literally, never in the whole book, in any adaptation of this story... Does he show respect? Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> for wait, this like, man. He's like, why should he be the head bro when we're all considered yeah. bros? <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah, we, we, we are all right. bros. We're bros. Yeah, we're but, all bros. But like, here. we're bros for him, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who are you impersonating? What is this? <laughs> I have no idea. It just kind of came out of me. It's like I've been I, have really, I been holding I'm it back for scared. years. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so it also kind of gets to Achilles' head, like. Hey, I do really have to like step up in this war because everyone's counting on me. All the people like look upon me yeah. as a hero. Yeah. Um and and yeah, they basically set off. They set off with Achilles as the commander of the army. And he's like given all this new armor. He's given that spear that's fashioned by Chiron. And they set off in like 50 ships. Um and like he says goodbye to Peleus, and Peleus thinks like, "There, that's my boy." And he, you know, it's really sad because yeah. And it's know... also to be noted that Peleus doesn't know. Yeah, Peleus has no idea yeah. about any of the prophecies. He doesn't the know prophecies. that he's seeing his son for the last time. Yeah, uh, I mean, he knows about the prophecy that he's going to be the greatest, right? But like the extent but he of how doesn't that know... happens, yeah. yeah, is not known yeah. to him. Uh, so they, there's then uh, this whole thing about where they arrive at a beachhead, where they. Um, meet with all the other armies that Menelaus and Agamemnon have gathered. And the whole thing that happens there in that beachhead is that they're stuck there for a while because... For like months. Yeah, for yeah, Straight up a months. very long time because the gods who are on the Trojan side ha- have done this to like not look upon them with favor. And like yeah. all they need is for Apollo... Was it Apollo? Or no, uh, it's Poseidon? Artemis. Or Artemis, sorry. They need oh, Artemis's, um like uh, favor. favor to be able to get the winds to sail to Troy, and the way yes. that they do that is that um, Agamemnon they sacrifices. Yeah, they trick. Which, like, I I can see they sort trick of everyone, right? Because like, not only does he then sacrifice his daughter, but then he essentially sacrifices the betrothed of Achilles. Yeah. After he promises Achilles to marry Iphigenia. Uh, yeah. And everyone's so shocked, and Achilles like feels super guilty, like, mm-hmm. well, like whoa, okay, that because it happens right in front of everybody, yeah. in broad daylight, yeah, and like, and like the only people who knew about it were like surely like Agamemnon, Menelaus, the Odysseus, yeah. yeah, and like, Odysseus like they're like really yeah. mad at like Odysseus, like why didn't you tell us? And Odysseus yeah. like tries to like wash we her, we could have stopped like, her, yeah, like it was the only way we could get her to come. 
And it was the only way yeah. that we could like kind of make the sacrifice like really big. And like yeah. true enough, it works. Like they get the wins yeah. and they're able like, to Like literally sail. as soon as she dies. Yeah, like like Artemis uh, turns on the electric fan. Yeah, like literally that's what happened. The turbo like, fan. And here yep. you go. <laughs> so yeah. they set off for Troy and like I think we can sort of talk about the war in Troy very broadly because the latter half of the book does cover like nine years, nine to ten years. Yeah, pretty well though. Right, like like we started out... She's good at making you feel how draggy it is. Yeah, because there's so much of it that is kind of them just like settling into a routine to the point that they literally build a town both on the beachhead and then later on the part of Troy where they land. Um, complete yeah. like with a marketplace and an agora and they have like yeah. temples and everything and you know people yeah, are yeah. living there and there's trade um, but they settle into a routine that begins with like them doing sieges on Troy uh, by raiding all the nearby towns as we mentioned earlier and that's kind of like how Achilles starts to develop his like bloodthirst where he just joins them casually and it's like okay I guess I'll go on the raids with them but then, like, the when he comes back... And, like, Patroclus doesn't... Like, very pointedly does not come with him on the raids. He's like, I think I'm good. I think I'll stay here. Um, and, and then he, he eventually finds his purpose, though. Yeah, he starts working with the physicians and the surgeon's tent. Um, yep. And while Achilles kind of, like, becomes, like, a different person almost through the war, where he just comes home bloodied and broken almost and thinks nothing of it yeah he thinks nothing of it but like he's just like bearing in mind the only thing i shouldn't do is to kill hector and it's around this time as well that we're introduced to briseis who is one of the farm girls who is given up as a spoil from one of the raids and patroclus urges achilles like hey you you should totally save that girl so achilles does and then briseis is made to live with them Yeah, yeah, and then Briseis, she doesn't really know any Greek. So throughout the years, Patroclus then kind of like like becomes close to her, teaching her Greek, and then they kind of I like... No, this is also yeah, really great. Yeah, very sweet. I really love this. Yeah, it's their whole dynamic was relationship so good. between them. Yeah. Uh, while Achilles keeps going out, doing more raids. And the whole thing mm-hmm. is that whenever a girl is put up as one of the spoils, they try to rescue her so that Briseis yes, can so then that... take care of them. And, and like, it's also the thing where it's like, well, Achilles also has to go into battle to prove himself as the greatest warrior, or else he won't really be deserving of the spoils. And then the war goes... At the same time, the war goes on for so long that people start to complain, like, hey, this war is not going anywhere. Like, around the four-year mark. We've not even scratched or attempted to scratch the walls of Troy. Um, And, like, the whole thing is, like, people start to mutiny against them, which is, like, a big deal. Mm -hmm. And, like... Achilles tries to quell it, and in doing so, he kind of starts showing himself as a more capable leader than Agamemnon. And yep. then the tension publicly embarrasses right. Agamemnon. Right, and the tensions eventually escalate to the point where what's the what's the whole, oh yeah they they basically conduct another raid where Agamemnon tries to claim the daughter of a priest of a priest uh, yes Chryses and Chryseis is the daughter he tries to claim yeah. Her in the same way that uh, Achilles yeah. like, claimed Briseis, um, but obviously yeah, but like, with more his violent mistake, intentions. Yeah. yeah, and his mistake was that her father is a high priest of Apollo. Right, and and he came also to supplicate to Agamemnon, like please return. to Agamemnon, like please. Return and it was like me. an intense yeah. supplication, pa. Yeah, 
but that whole thing happens and Agamemnon still know. So obviously Apollo gets pissed. And what happens is that the plague rises up in the camp and starts killing like the Achaeans very slowly. Um, Which they're like, yeah, obviously something has to change here. Uh, They convince Agamemnon to return Chryseis, but then as a result, he's like, no, okay, if that's going to happen, then I'm going to take Achilles' girl, Briseis. Like, that's going to be the price to pay to satiate yeah. this. Which is, we should mention, the so starting stressful. point again of the Iliad. Of this the, is where Iliad, the Iliad that's, starts. Yeah, this is right? the specific part right. where it starts. And and the whole thing is that between Achilles and Agamemnon, Achilles is so pissed off already at Agamemnon that he allows Agamemnon to take Briseis. And his only condition yeah, and is Patroclus like, cannot yeah, deal like, with that. Like, Dude, what are you doing? He's and, like, what's wrong with you? She's right. our friend. Yeah. And, and he's literally like, what? Like, he even forgets about her at one point when Patroclus is like, so what are we going to do? How are we going to save her? Achilles is like, who? Yeah. Who? What are you talking about? Yeah. And, and Patroclus gets so mad. Right. Because his whole motivation and, at that point is that he's trying to like hold up his pride and say and that, that yeah, lesson. teach Agamemnon a lesson for what he thinks is Agamemnon's hubris, but he's no longer self-aware yeah. about his own hubris. Own, um, yeah. And you basically have that thing of, okay, I'm only going to take back Briseis if Agamemnon comes here himself and personally apologizes and to me. And says sorry, yeah. Right, which he never does. <laughs> and he's never, never going to do. So yep. uh, this goes on to the point that Achilles eventually decides, okay, I'm just not going to fight. I'm not going to join the raids anymore. And we'll see where that leaves you guys. And this gives the Trojans a huge advantage. Oh, I also forgot to mention that uh, this advantage is also something that's divinely inspired because Achilles is so angry at Agamemnon that he asks his mother... His mom! Yeah, ask, which is a famous scene yeah, also yeah, in the Iliad. Yeah, to, for a favor. Yeah. And that's kind yeah. of a favor that she he grants. Okay, them. and again, the difference between this scene and I mean, like how Madeline does it versus how it was written in the Iliad, or like how people usually talk about it, is that this bit is literally Achilles like wailing his ass off to yeah. his mom, yeah, like a little brat, yeah, and then her being like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I'll do what I can, and then we'll see what you know. It'll all be in your favor again." Pero here. Thetis is like also super pissed. She hates this. And she even says, like, Akalia says, Will Zeus do it? Will Zeus do tip the scale? Right. And she said and she basically says, Yeah, he owes me. Yeah. And and well, it's it's so funny because at the same time, like remembering again our classes before, if you didn't know anything about Achilles before you read the Iliad, and this is the entry point of the Iliad. You think, whoa, Achilles yes. is just like a huge brat. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, here, yeah, exactly. And that's usually so how deep, he's right, characterized. Yeah. And then like at least here, mm-hmm. like we're so deep into the novel already. Like we've spent time, we've seen all these like sort of yeah. variations on that. You know mood. that this is not truly him. But like also his most sincere and earnest parts uh, throughout his relationship yeah. with Patroclus. Um yeah. and then it comes to a point where the Trojans get close enough that they can break through the Achaean camp. And even though they set up like a ditch with like spikes and everything, it's not enough. Like eventually the Trojans then gain the help of Sarpedon, who's like their huge like 
they're heavy <laughs> in their team. And he basically helps them to get to the front line of the Achaean camp. Um, and it's at that yes. point, like when they finally start invading the Achaean camp, knowing how close Agamemnon's tent is to the front line, they're like scared specifically for Briseis. And Patroclus yeah. is hearing the worries of all the other soldiers around him. And it's during that time, by the way, as his as he's helped in the medical tent that he's become close to all the other soldiers in the camp. So he's feeling mm-hmm. bad for his friends. He's feeling bad for yeah. Briseis. And eventually he kind of just appeals to Achilles like, can you please fight at least like fight them off? And Achilles is like, no. And Patroclus is like, well, fine. Let them call me by your name. Okay. Wait, no, but then like it before that, um, your boy Phoenix. Oh yeah, my boy Phoenix. It has to say yeah, which is also a famous scene from the Iliad, where he kind of tells this story that to other people at the dinner with Sinaechus seems random, but turns out to be code. Right, right, for, right, right, right. For Patroclus. Yeah, for Patroclus. It's the story of Meleager. Meleager and. Cleopatra. Yes. One of the Cleopatras. Na parang he had to go to war and then eventually got disrespected also and he didn't want to go anymore. Yeah. But then for it to end, he needed to show himself either way. And then eventually, like, that makes everything turn yeah, out yeah. good in their favor. Like, and like the whole time they're like looking at Patroclus. So, you know, yeah, like, if you, Cleopatra you know, did not uh, tell yeah. Meleager to fight, uh, Meleager wouldn't have fought. So what I'm yes. saying is Cleopatra should definitely <laughs> should always do tell. something. Yeah, <laughs> she should do something and always be persuasive. And if it comes to the point where she gotta wear that uniform and be called by his name, so be it. And that and is their fatal mistake. It's true. Because Patroclus is then... As we all know. Like, Patroclus eventually, like, he starts off well. Like, he manages to kill Sarpedon. Yeah, he kills Sarpedon. Yeah, Yeah, which is, like, amazing. Which is a big deal because he is their Ajax, right? Like, to anyone who knows, Ajax was, like, their biggest... Yeah, he was their Hulk. He was their Hulk. Yeah, he He was essentially Hulk. Hulk. I did imagine him that big. Yeah. And Sarpedon was apparently, like, bigger than big. Yeah, and Patroclus had never fought before. So for he, him, yeah, like this was like this was like huge, like honestly, like quite deserving of a lot of honor and yeah. war glory. Um, yeah. And like he, it kind of gets to Patroclus' head where he's like, "Yeah, you know, what? I'm just gonna keep doing this. I'm gonna throw a spear here. I'm gonna throw a spear yeah. there. I'm gonna throw, throw a spear, spear into the Seven Eleven. And then the charioteer is like, "All right, man, maybe let's <laughs> like, like, go home now. Yeah, like hold it back, hold it back. Like, yeah, pull back, pull back. But Patroclus is like, "No!" And then he like literally jumps on the wall of Troy. And he starts climbing yeah. it himself. And it's like... Yeah, and that's It's a very slow climb. Shit hits the fan. Yeah, but it, that scene is so good too because I read it in slow motion. Did yeah. you also? Well, sort I of, yeah. Like I really was like, oh my God, I'm really feeling it. And that's where you see Apollo. Because yes. at the top of the wall right, he's is there. Apollo. And Apollo lifts him up and basically drops him to the ground. Right. And he feels himself, his armor basic... or. Achilles' armor basically come off him already because he's so he's been through it. He was he was already stabbed and then he fell off this wall and then he gets stabbed again. Yeah. I think and then eventually Hector, Hector comes gives in. Him the, yeah, yeah. The killing blow. Uh yep. news very quickly reaches Achilles. He 
goes crazy over it. Back. Yeah, the body's brought the body's back. Brought back and he refuses to he refuses to like bury the body to of bury Petrobus. the body. Like, he keeps the body there yeah. in the tent. Which like and like and at one point he even refuses to let Breezy's clean the body. Yeah. Like that that sort of also like helps to explain the the narrative limitation that Madeline has put upon herself by choosing to set this from Patroclus' perspective, because if he dies after at that point in the war, then he essentially oh, yeah, never yeah, gets to witness it. But then she yeah, yeah. finds the loophole, which I think is very good. That yeah, so um, good. if you don't Her bury mind. if you don't bury a Greek bo- a bury body the in the dead. Greek tradition, their soul kind of wanders the land where they've been killed. Yeah, which is essentially yeah. what happens, and how you're able yes. to hear the rest of Patroclus' story or the rest of the Trojan War from Patroclus' perspective. Is that he's yeah. wandering the land um, of around where he's been killed? Yeah, and so he watches everything happen, and his his soul tries to beg Achilles to just let it go and like bury him already. Yeah, but it will won't happen. Yeah, and Achilles he, he is so enraged and full of grief, and he really takes it out the next day where he like decides like fine I'm gonna go into this war like he does yeah, get Agamemnon the day Hector dies like, um, Agamemnon's like okay fine I'll apologize now <laughs> yeah like, grabe that scene <laughs> was so and it's I think it's one of the things also is that um again talking about the limitations and stuff is that in the Iliad after. They, but so there's a really specific point where you never hear of Agamemnon ever again. Yeah. And then I remember this specifically because Leon, it's one of his favorite parts. <laughs> right. If right, I remember right. correctly, and he always brings it up. So to see him there again, in that scene, and just be all like, "Hey, by the way, I'm sorry for your loss." Yeah. I I will let you grieve. Yeah. Okay. Bye bye. So, <laughs> I was like, "You're the yeah, worst, my yeah, dude." It's really rough. It's really rough. And he starts going out, starts killing everyone, like every Trojan in sight, until he finds Hector. My favorite thing, which is kind of glossed over here, for well, not really glossed over. It's given its own space, but uh, it's given a whole book in the Iliad where Achilles fights a river god. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I was gonna mention that also. I mean, I was gonna ask you about like, that. Because like, I was like, when does that happen? Yeah, like, when he, does he yeah, fight he, the he water? He fights the water. And then, like, you can he, imagine Hayao Miyazaki is reading this and being like, I know, that's a Mulaney joke in that's itself, not also. That's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I gotta. A living river, you say. A living, oh, living river. river. He, Would he, you say that somebody was spirited away yeah. even so, at one point yeah and eventually he does find Hector and he kills Hector and like that's yeah. a whole thing like he very spitefully yeah. like takes the corpse of he- Hector and he parades it around the city of Troy like I killed yeah. him and he takes it to his tent and like he also does not bury it so that Hector does not find any peace peace uh, yeah. and it's really sad and it leads up to your favorite as my you said favorite the scene, best scene yeah my favorite scene Priam in the showing up where Priam Priam and his wife I know in the it was Priam and his wife no it was a Priam because oh really it was a Priam oh, like it's sorry. a very solitary scene between the two of them they, oh they're, right okay, they're okay. privately I just know that the last lines are him right yeah like that last monologue is his yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they have that last monologue and then they leave and then like the last line of the Iliad is like they buried Hector and then the the, the funeral essentially. Yeah. Um But like yeah, but that that scene happens here. and like very quickly after 
they have the funerals for both Hector and Patroclus. Yeah. And then other warriors start to come and challenge Achilles, but he manages to kill all of them. And the one that kind of like goes a streak too far is that Achilles also kills the youngest son of Priam. Yes. Uh, Troilus. Which is also mentioned in... Is it not mentioned in the Iliad? I feel, I feel like no, because this is after oh, Priam okay. already arrives at the So I guess it's just something I know. Yeah, but this is what provokes Paris to kill Achilles. And then, you know, yeah, obviously, like, the prophecy was fulfilled. It's filled! <laughs> what have we done? Yeah, yeah. Achilles, like, has, they have a funeral for Achilles. And that's when, like, at the very end, like, who shows up? None other than... None other than... <laughs> the 12-year-old son of Achilles. Yeah. Pyrrhus. <laughs> uh, like, yep. fresh from... Oh, I was about to call him Neo something, but that's... Yeah, his nickname is Pyrrhus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I could not... his real name is, like, New War. Yeah, I could not... Uh, yeah, his nick. Yeah, his name, his real name means New War. And, like, the whole yeah. idea is that he has been raised fully now by, by Thetis. By Thetis. That's where she's been this whole time... Uh, it's kind of like sheltering Pyrrhus and training him to be the next big thing. Yeah. Um, and kind of what is very evident right away from there is that he is the evil version of Achilles. Like, he has like yeah. no qualms. He'll kill everyone. He'll destroy yep. everything. And like when they tell um, Pyrrhus, like, hey, we're going to uh, bury your dad. And we're gonna like mingle his ashes with Patroclus as he with, wished. Yeah, um, because that was his last wish. Yeah, he doesn't. He and Thetis don't want. Yeah, yeah, because he's saying like, yeah. my father was a, a god and a hero. There's no point in mingling his ashes Mixing. with a true mortal yeah. like yeah. that. Like, who was he? I didn't even know yeah. who Patroclus was. Like, he was. This... Yeah, but also, dude, you didn't even know your dad. So yeah. like, yeah, literally, literally, grow up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. The thing is, like, with um. Like, Pyrrhus, like, even goes so far as to kill Briseis when she tries to escape. Um, yeah. He kills Priam. He kills Hector's family. He takes the yeah. wives in Hector in Priam's family as his prisoners. Um, and he even sacrifices one of the princesses to inaugurate the tomb of Achilles. It's very, very violent, like, yeah. following after Achilles. Um, yeah. But sort of... I forget now if this was mentioned in the text or if it's something that I picked up in the notes after. But the whole thing about Pyrrhus is that he kind of dies shortly after they leave yeah. Troy. Yeah, I remember that also. And and the whole idea is that he dies very unceremoniously being killed by one of the sons of Agamemnon. Of Pre- or, Agamemnon. No, yeah, because he takes the wife of Agamemnon. Oh, that's right. Or, or sometimes not world. the wife, but like the the or the, one of the daughters. Sorry, he's killed by the son of Agamemnon for taking the wife of that son. Right. Okay. Right. So he's very he's killed very unceremoniously and and basically without and honor. very fast. Right. Yeah. And the tro the Trojans are sieged. Um, it's destroyed. They win the war. I mean, the Greeks win the war and they set sail to go home. Um, while Patroclus' spirit is left behind near the tomb of Achilles. And the whole time, like, Patroclus doesn't really have any company, except for... That is. Yeah, she shows up over and over again. She shows up. And she's kind of like... Like, she's sort of feeling the futility of this whole thing. Like, 
yeah. it's over now. He's dead and he's in the underworld. And, and what have I gotten out of it? Essentially yeah. nothing. And Patroclus kind of like convinces her like, hey, I know you always hated me, but I'm the guy who got to see all the best parts of your son. And I think if we're going to remember him, we shouldn't remember him as this yeah. killer, this person who destroyed and pillaged all these farms and yeah. towns and cities around Troy. But we should remember him as the good guy that he that he was, the good person that he was to me. Um, yeah. And he he basically starts recalling all those things about their life together, um, and it feels like Thetis kind of with her own memory. Uh, of her own life and what she went through and her own feelings about Achilles growing up and dying. And and like, I think what's super interesting about the scene is I'm I'm like 80% certain this does not, this scene does not come out in like original Greek tradition. No, not at all. I don't think so. No. So this scene... And this is what I was like talking about also like how Madeline is very good at making you sympathize for like right. female characters that are usually set aside so this or like depicted as really bad this scene I think is um, is interestingly enough it's a counterpoint to the scene between Achilles and Priam where, yes where, oh yeah, yeah it's like instead of Achilles and Priam kind of like recognizing each other it's like hey we both lost someone that we a love lot. in the war and I need you to recognize that so that I can I can ask you to appeal to that my... sense of sympathy to bury my son yeah. and to bury the man who you love. Yeah. In the same way, Thetis and Patroclus are now meeting each other and saying, hey, look, we both loved him. We both knew yeah. what was good about yeah. him. And I'm appealing to that in you to see some value in me so that I can convince you that his life was not totally a waste. Yeah, And that's what Absolutely. warms her up to him. Um, and, and she kind of like opens up and says like, you know, the worst part of this is I can't even go to the underworld to see him. Uh, yes. Yeah. When she says that, oh my God. Yeah. And it's like, he's never going to be a God now. Like he's going to be in the underworld. Yeah. And like once she makes peace with the relationship between Achilles and Patroclus, she inscribes Patroclus's name on the tomb and that allows Patroclus to go into the underworld to to reunite with Achilles. And that's how the book ends. But I think in the ending of the book, because she does that, does he go to the underworld? I know that he ends up. He ends up. They end up going to what's the name of the heaven for heroes? The Elysian so Fields. But that's the, the Elysian Fields are also kind of in the underworld, sort of. Oh, least, is it? At least in Dante's... Oh, I had no idea. At least in, or at least I remember that that's being outlined in, in either in Dante or in Classic Lit, is that what um, the Greeks perceived as the Elysian Fields were a part of the underworld. Everyone basically uh, goes okay. to the underworld. Um, I just know that. Well, in Dante, I remember Achilleus being in hell. Yeah, because the whole thing there is that the first circle of hell, uh, there's that... It's, it's basically Elysium, where all the noble oh. souls are put... But they're put there okay. without the knowledge and um, kind of like right. uh, fealty to God. So right. they live their lives like, okay, we were noble people. But now that we know the whole uh, order and structure of the universe, um, they, they we basically got what we wanted, which is to live here yeah. with all these other noble souls. Right. Yeah. Okay, gets. Okay. And uh, that is the and end of is... The Song of Achilles. Grab it. My favorite song. Oh. 
So I I really liked reading this. Um, like I oh yeah, we mentioned we mentioned at the start that this is our fir- my first reading of this book. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though I'd known about it since we were in college, I was encountering this book like really fully for the first time, um, yeah. and kind of like like trying to be sensitive to what she wanted to do here with this book yeah. and how she wanted to write it, and like you know I'm glad now that I have the maturity to see that okay this is what like instead of demanding of it to be like a worthy representation of the Iliad, which I would have probably like misguidedly thought as a younger person, at least now I'm able to see like, okay, I can kind of see what her objective is. And I feel like she pretty much nailed it with, which is that she really wanted to explore this dynamic between them, which is like heavily featured in the Iliad, but not given like really its own space to breathe, which I think she did perfectly here. Uh, and that, yeah. again, as I mentioned before, Great. speaks so much to the rich tapestry of story that you can find in the Iliad in and the in the Iliad. Odyssey, yeah. that you can just like pluck any two characters from it and you'll be able to see like there's a yeah. whole side of them that you don't Absolutely. know. And it's not like, like, an, it's not like in a corny kind of like twisted um, reinvention. No, it's really just like, yeah, because there's so much to explore why shouldn't someone do it? I think, and I think it's with that in mind that I would highly recommend this book. Agree. You definitely <laughs> recommend it. I am super biased. <laughs> but like, you know, I will admit that I am super biased since I have been in this fandom longer than you. Yeah. I did read it as a young person and... Um, do you feel like you're, well in, your sense of it but has then, changed? But then like, you know... Sorry. Do you feel like your opinion, your opinion of it has changed since the time you revisited it, like since you first read it? No, I mean, like, well, now obviously I understand it a lot deeper. Even if I had read it after taking classical lit, but again, you know, we at I read it in second year, Mm. so we had no majors yet, so there was still a lot for me to unpack. Right. In terms of like also my own reading and comprehension skills as a humanities student um but like rereading it again now i really was like bumping my fists you know yeah. like i was like yes still so good like a thing that i should have mentioned also earlier is that this has some of the most quoted stuff on tumblr i think yeah like there are a lot of lines here that i a lot of people have used as like titles for fanfic or just as inspiration for something else entirely, or if they just post a screenshot of like that line and you know post it on Tumblr or post it on Twitter even. There's even a whole bot on Twitter that's just like some of Achilles' lines. Right. And a lot of the ones that get retweeted the most are the more famous ones, you know, like yeah. um, the I Would Know Him in Death, that one. Or that he is half of my soul, as the poets say. Yes. And I feel like those lines like those are so, I guess, I don't know, some people might, maybe that's why some people think that it's so cheesy or like so YA. But like either way, it's like good writing. Like it yeah. gets to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even if, you know, as you said, that it it does still feel like a YA novel sometimes. I still really also would super recommend this book. Um, because... Again, if this is your first encounter with the Greek myths, or like your first deep dive, you know, because maybe a lot of people's first encounter might have been like a Disney movie, 
like this would still hold up and you would still learn things that could eventually you know spark your interest in it and right as i mentioned before it made a lot of people want to go into classics yeah yeah um so yeah super highly recommend good writing yes and i think it's good everything. that i think it's good that you brought back again the whole idea of its popularity within like fan communities especially those that were on tumblr um because like when we were kind of talking about setting up this series this mini series and we were like talking about how madeline would fit into it one of the interesting angles that you had brought up uh which we'll go on talking about soon in the next episode is that when she did come out with her second novel that kind of popularity or that level of popularity did not remain consistent yeah right so we're gonna Which get into so that crazy to me to this yeah in the next will. episode on yeah. Cersei we thank everyone for listening to the show uh, yes, if yeah. you really really love this show so far we've got three episodes up uh, please do I mean like we highly encourage checking out our Sally Rooney episodes we really enjoyed doing our normal people oh, yeah. episode especially there was so much fun that we had <laughs> over making that um but also like if you want to leave any ratings or reviews if you want to subscribe if you want to give us a shout we are also on instagram and twitter and we would love to hear from you again yeah and also if you guys want to talk about this book or any of the books that we've covered so far just hit us up man yeah we're here man message us we're again on social here. media we're the rec room pod on all social media platforms. Also, all, do check to... out, like, I, I think we now have the opportunity to mention on this episode that at least in social media, we'll be announcing, like, any bonus things that we'll be releasing. So, like... That's very true. Like, for normal people, one of the things that we have done is to do a bonus mixtape <laughs> dedicated to... We made a little mixtape. We, we pulled character. an old Tumblr move. Yeah. The we, best character. We did an old Tumblr move. And our mixtape's yeah. called Nile from 1D. So you can find yeah. the link to that mixtape in our Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Right, so we'll see you there. And until then, until next time, call how? me. Oh. oh my god. Call me by okay. your name. That's how we're ending this, okay. What do you have? Oh, wait, wait. You already, we already established during this episode that you knew the songs of Achilles. Why don't you tell us, tell us no. a song? No. I will say that the number one song that always was always attributed to him back in the day was again a marina and the diamond song which is prima donna girl how does is it prima donna or is it just called prima donna that one i'm not gonna sing it because i don't remember how most of it goes all right and with that thanks and goodbye <laughs> sorry <laughs> i don't know what happened <laughs> we were all bros man yeah all right okay this is this is ending okay bye-bye bye Thanks for listening to The Rec Room. This episode was edited by me. Our artwork is by Mandy. Our theme song is 64 Sundays by Twin Musicom, which is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution License. Check out more of their music at www.twinmusicom.org. A very special thanks to our friend Leon Pexen for his special segment on the Homeric Epics. For more updates on The Rec Room, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Rec Room Pod. Rec spelled R-E-Q.